<laughs> yeah, right. you're, no, you're number one, Rob. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what did, did you? Uh, you just you sold a bunch of stuff this week and helped a bunch of people build arrows. Did you? Did you didn't get to, get to go hunt? Did you? No. Um, it's honestly right now nothing. I nothing is really open for me. Turkey's wrapped up, um, and I'm kind of transitioning in my little bit of free time to fishing. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, Muskie's just uh, opened, right? Yeah. So last weekend I was. Uh, did the Michigan open this coming weekend is the Northern Wisconsin open. Um, so I'll be out with my father doing some fishing again, but, uh, did do quite a bit of messing around with my longbow this week. Uh, and that's that, uh, hill style flat bow, like homemade ugly stick. <laughs> um, and, that's, I mean, when I got it a year ago, I had no information on it. I literally got it without a string, just kind of a buddy said, here, I have no idea what this thing is. And uh turned out Perfect. that it was a 76-pound longbow. <laughs> and uh, so I, I've been shooting that a lot, um, but I've been struggling to really get consistent clean flight out of it. Mm-hmm. And I've always shot split finger. Um, or, and out of the blue, I just decided to try three under and once you know it, it loves three under It worked out better. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I don't, I, I've never been comfortable, but, uh, I'm forcing myself now. So this last <laughs> week has been, uh, focusing on that because I really want to kill something with it at the uh, hog hunt in a month. Yep. So yeah, been working on that and uh, just set up my my new backup bow. Picked up that E thirty five that I showed you. Yeah, so line, got the, that all. the like race green, so you can get your uh, your <laughs> lime yellow uh, uh, string, so we can have a Packers bow going on. Yeah, it, it'll be a little flashy, but uh, <laughs> for the price, and I love the E thirty five. Like great it'll be a phenomenal uh, off season practice bow at 65 pounds compared to my normal 80 um so it'll be a great bow for off season and uh yeah so i've been playing with all kinds of stuff in between building nice grizzly sticks and other stuff (laughs) what about you lots it is it is building season um i last weekend i went and shot at uh that traditional archery club i just joined yeah um so it, that was pretty that was pretty fun and uh i kind of have a similar story with the split to three under um i've just kind of i when i was trying to shoot three under when i started i was shooting a tab and i quickly found out that me and tabs don't get along so i was like oh if i'm shooting a glove i might as well i like i just thought if you shot a glove you shot split and uh so that's why i've been doing and then the guys i was shooting with were like man you should just like get through under a shot and bill Bo wasn't like tillered for it at the moment you know it's an ilf so uh i was like all right and switched three under halfway through the course and i mean like i have tens and were happening more frequently than nice. not which was uh, yeah it i mean I'm, not, I'm certainly not painting that that is a common occurrence for me but uh, it became more common when I switched to three under. So go, <laughs> once again, go figure. Uh, so I don't know if I was pinching the knock at Todd. You might, I need, I need Todd to educate me on that later. 
for me and my wife, I guess. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, went and shot that 3d course and this weekend is a work weekend there and, uh, we're just kind of cleaning up everything. And then on Sunday we're having a shoot, uh, for Memorial day weekend. So nice. Hopefully the rain. Yeah. Hopefully the rain holds off, uh, here in Missouri, we've been getting pounded with rain and tornadoes and all sorts of fun stuff. So, We'll see. We'll see how this weekend shakes out. But yeah, it was a uh, it was fun last weekend. I had a good time. I never I've never really been a part of any club per se. So it was uh, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, oh, yeah. What about what about you, Todd? Is is Indiana season wrapped up yet for a turkey or you still get to hunt? Yeah, we're all done. Turkey's done. That's that's a done deal. So you mentioned uh, season for us. It's really a testing season. We got a lot of guys that this Mm -hmm. is the time of year that they decide to upgrade their system, you know, check out Mm -hmm. new arrows, check out new broadheads and that. So we've been working a lot with with that. But you mentioned the weekend coming up too, and we have close by up in Marshall, Michigan, an actual primitive shoot. So it's self bows, wood arrows, and and it's just, it's, it's a blast. You know, it's not real big, but it's, it's fun to break out the old self bow and go out there and shoot. You see guys that have been yeah. coming for over 25 years. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun this weekend. That's awesome. You'll have to pardon, you'll have to pardon my ignorance on self bows. When, when you get to like primitive or, or self bow style bows, do you literally like go out and look for a piece of wood that's like halfway straight and you're like, yeah, that'll work. Or do you like order a blank, like a, like a 65 inch blank or, you know, something like that from, from someone and they'll send you the type of wood that you're looking for. Well, when you're first going to start, it's nice to get a blank is a good word for it. it not just a stave, mm-hmm. not just a quarter split from a tree. But uh, mm-hmm. my buddy Mike Yancey at Pine Hollow Longbow sells some fantastic self-bow wood. He's also a really gifted boyer in that, so he's a great resource, has DVD out. So it's not that tricky, but if you can get a blank that already has the growth ring chased for you, uh, profile already yep. laid out. Matt Matt or Wiki sells a bunch of that kind of stuff too, mm-hmm. and he has great uh, blanks. And uh, it really helps when you don't have to chase that growth ring the first time around. I want to mess around with the self bow eventually, but today is not that day. Uh, <laughs> but I, for, I need to get more. I need to get better with a with any bow first. You haven't abused yourself enough yet. <laughs> yeah, that, you want to get into that. I need, I need, I need more. Uh, what, what about, uh, what about you, Garrett? I know you're, you're probably staying busy. We, we've been, we were talking, I should, I was thinking about this. I should be, and I haven't gone for three years right now is dead center, black bear, Southeast Alaska on the beaches. Yep. And yeah, you uh, should definitely be there. I, not, I should not here. And it's not a pity thing. My, my father passed away three years ago. I haven't gone for bears since, since he's been gone. And I think next year is going to be, I'm, I'm ready. And I'm, yeah. I'm ready to go start chasing them again. And it's just, it's hard this time of year to not be there. But as far as the week, we have just been swamped this time of year with Todd, as Todd was saying, on the testing side. And then for us, for the kind of the late guys, the cancellation hunts for Africa mm-hmm. and or just the procrastinators. So there's a lot of Cape Buffalo pl- planes came stuff happening for us right now still. Um, and that's, that's been pretty busy. So we've been, we've been definitely the last couple of weeks burning the midnight oil. As soon as it seems like as soon as the snow starts to melt, um, it just, you got to kind of pin your ears back and, and 
hang on uh, until we get a little reprieve starting in June. Yeah. Well, how far, how many hours ahead is Africa? Uh, well, I, well, God, I mean, it's probably multiple time zones, but in general, probably eight hours, I would guess. There, I, I would say, well, it depends on obviously where you are. From you guys on the East Coast, I think you're going to be six or seven on that. Okay. Um, on, on that. I think if you go off of Berlin straight down, if you look up for uh, for Joburg, you, you know, you can oh, okay. get your time zone on that side. There you go. Yeah, so, um, so about eight o'clock in the morning when people are waking up, it's, uh, you know, all the pH is out and... You know, That's South Africa right. and stuff is it's about midnight ish uh here and then and, and you're getting phone calls. So that's that's, that's my fun. well that's it and then yeah, I mean the the more for those guys, that's all WhatsApp. That then you start getting lit up on that. Yeah. So the client, you know, we share a lot of clients and, and setting stuff up and and so, you know, it, they're sending me pictures of guys and what's going on and, and it's kinda neat. It's great, but you know, it's it just it's it's a never ending cycle. Todd and I were joking about it. Now the hard part for me is trying to keep it all straight between texting emails facebook instagram like somebody wrote challenge. me and it's really important <laughs> and i cannot find that anywhere you know linkedin is, you're yeah, super you know, active, <laughs> dude you're super active on linkedin i don't know anyone more active than you it's done really it does really well for us it yeah. does um, yeah. it, well it's funny that you said that i had been looking for a place to to be able before sci and even through sci i never mm-hmm. had a place i could talk to all the phs in one place Yep. And so it's great. I, I can, you know, I can really communicate with those guys on a one. I never even thought of utilizing LinkedIn. Like I have a LinkedIn yeah. from like my day job, but I never right. even look at it. Like, yep. That never even crossed my mind from a hunting, like from my, my hunting business perspective. And it's, it, it does really well. It, it, for, for me, it has, I say, or for the company. Um, and it's funny. I'm, almost mute on things like Facebook and Instagram personally. I just mm-hmm. don't do that stuff anymore. But for me on the business side and promoting the company, we will definitely, um, it gets us a lot of play, gets us a lot of business. And it's a way for me because I don't do a lot of things personally on social media for mm-hmm. me to interact with customers. And I get to yeah. interact with, you know, whoever, you know, in, in their day job, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting and kind of neat. You get to see what your customers do for a living. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh uh, I don't know. Not that I really care, but it, I probably wouldn't be the most popular guy on my LinkedIn if I started posting my dead animals all over the place. And I'm uh, in a yeah. unique situation where I don't, I don't care. Right. I don't, right. Exactly. I don't, I just don't care. I don't, you know, what are you going to do? Hurt me? You can't, you know, so it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't, and I could get how for other people, of course. Sure. Um, right. And even in the last two years, how sensitive that's been. For us, even posting pictures for customers. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's gotten a lot trickier for sure. I, I actually, oh man, now I just thought of something that I didn't like really brief you guys on, but we're gonna, <laughs> we're going to talk about. It. You'll be fine. It's okay. Uh, um, <laughs> so, in case you guys haven't figured it out, uh, uh, talking about Africa and PHs and uh, a bunch of clients, we are hanging out tonight with. Garrett Schleif, Dave. I, I've never. I don't know if I've ever said your last name out loud. But that's it, right? right on. And, and, you, and you did. That's yeah. nobody. Yes. It's it's a it's a great telemarketing yes. name. Nobody gets it right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's almost as bad as uh, Wojaho. It's the Jason, the guy over from from Toughhead. Yeah, that's yeah. uh that's quite the last that's, name. Too. You're not gonna. Yeah, you're, the telemarketer isn't gonna get it right. That's that's right. Yeah. So we're we're hanging out uh, with Garrett Schleif and Todd Smith tonight from Grizzly Stick. Uh, they were gracious enough to. Oh, to you join got us. that right. Um, if you have, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, um, if you uh, haven't lived under a rock, uh, or if you have been living under a rock, rather, uh, Grizzly Stick has been a household name in the uh, uh, in the archery industry for for quite a while, uh, and they have been specializing in. Uh, uh, being able to take animals of the larger variety for a long time now, uh, and have created uh, quite the quite the system uh, to to make all that happen for bow hunters to be uh, uh, successful can uh, uh, continually. So, um, man, I feel like grizzly stick kind of when I stepped into the heavier arrow, better quality arrow, better quality broadhead realm. Grizzly stick was in a whirlwind uh, from the last couple of years. Uh, got a lot of new stuff out now. He's switching arrows up. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll let you guys tee it off or however you want to talk about what the last couple of years has been like for you. Or you can talk about before that. It's up to you. Todd. Now go ahead. <laughs> Shy guys. Uh, wow. Well, you uh, leave it. You give an open-ended one like that, Matt. That's uh, a. Yeah. Uh, it's well. I think. Well, it, it's up to you. You can, if you want to talk. Sure. About, no. Uh, if you want to talk we, about the origins of Grizzly Stick, yeah, and, and, we, and, we and your dad, to, then we can. Yeah, we can kick it off with that. We. That's always a good place to start because I think it helps set the tone for our mindset when we're looking at how we build equipment. Yeah. Um, so, um, my father, I born and raised in Alaska. My father, uh, moved lucky to, dog. Uh, my father moved to Alaska I, I, and I am, I, I was really lucky. Um, and we, over the course of me growing up, we owned two different lodges. Uh, my father was a registered Alaskan guide. He wasn't a master guide. He was a registered guide, which is one biggest difference. You can't book, uh, you don't have a territory or an area, even though we hmm. had lodges, uh, we'd have to have a master guide book for our own lodges for us. And then he could guide those guys, but it, huh. that worked. So that, that worked. And so I was lucky and I got to grow up inside of that. Um, we did all kinds of hunting, um, not just bow hunting, but we were exclusively stick bow guys. Um, and as my father was nearing retirement, um, from his day job, he was a paramedic. Um, he was looking for something to do. This was in the early nineties and loved trad bows and was in Alaska and was like, you know, what? I'm going to start making Alaska trad products and selling them for guys with the idea that every three to four years, I'll make enough money so I can go to Africa or I can go on one kind of cool hunt. You know, I'll save up my money doing this and just do it on the side in retirement. Um, and that quickly grew into one of the larger traditional companies, suppliers in, in, in the in the United States is for gloves, tabs, quivers, all we had a full complete line. That's actually how Todd and I met. Um, Todd was at Three Rivers, so they mm -hmm. were our biggest they were our biggest buyers. So Todd and mm -hmm. I originally met through through that that connection. Um, so we've our relationship, we've known each other probably going back 12, 13 years, Todd, something like that. 10 years? I don't know. Sure. That sounds perfect. It's some, some, something like that. So, um, and <laughs> on our side. So that's how it all started. Um, we started making arrows at St. Croix Rod Company. And uh, is it uh, Fall? Is it Fall City? Sioux um, Falls. No, not Sioux Falls. Uh, yeah. Park, Park Falls. Park, Park Falls. Falls. I was like, I've been, I've been to their I've, facility. Everybody's, if, if everybody's, if you drive through, you stop and you go to the factory. Yeah. Um, so we, that's where we started. Um, and we were making arrows there just, and at the time we were making what we would call trad arrows. Um, we knew nothing about 
aero manufacturing at all, zero. Um, we just were trad guys that were tired of buying wood that mm-hmm. we were losing. You know, you'd buy a gross, a cedars, and you might get, you know, 18 matched hunters out of that. Um, so, you know, and, and then you were, you know, breaking them and all the issues that you were having with wood. Right. So we thought, hey, we wanted to try this with carbon. And when we originally started building arrows with them, the biggest mindset that we had was we wanted to go stump shooting with them and we didn't want them to break. That was, hmm. that was it. That was, that was it. Um, over the years that kind of progressed in 2004, there was a major carbon shortage in the U S and that was the first time it really started forcing people offshore. A lot of it had to do with the Gulf war. Nobody could get pre-preg hmm. carbon to make, you couldn't, I mean, St. Croix rod company for as big as they were, was having, you know, they couldn't get some, yeah. man, it's crazy how politics can really take, take part in stuff like this. Like Absolutely. It's, just, it's wild. And so everybody kind of ran into it at the same time. So we all left, um, basically. And St. Croix was really gracious helping us. They didn't have to help us at all. Um, and family owned business, they're good. They're a good family company. They're awesome people. Um, but they, they helped us and they were going to Korea at the time. We started out in Korea. We were having all kinds of issues. And again, we really, no engineering background. Uh, at all for either my father and I, um, right. and no, um, no real understanding on how to build things, much less how to carbon. So now we're going to factories in foreign countries, asking them to build us something that we don't know how to ask for. So <laughs> you can imagine that was a lot of fun. That didn't yeah. work out particularly <laughs> fun, well. Fun translation job. Um, going on oh, there. It, was, it was great. Um, and, um, then that eventually we were, in, we, we ended up being in China. So we started out in China and I think 05, 06, something like that. And uh, we got to leave, I think, in 10 or 11, which was great. So we were there. We bounced around in several factories. Lots of guys will go through the arrows over the years and they're like, man, some of those batches were good and some of them were bad. And I'm like, yeah, you know it. I mean, that was, it was just. <laughs> it's my it, life. <laughs> it was, it was what, uh, whatever we could do. I think for me, I did uh, in a 10 year stint, I did 25 trips to Asia. Um, so I was going over quite a bit and I was staying over there for over 20, t- 20 days at a time. Usually when I was going, it got to be at the end, I, I, I made Todd go with me. I just, I couldn't do, and I was doing all, almost all that by myself. And I was like, I can't do it by myself anymore. Um, yeah. I'd start to go a little bit nuts after a while. Um, so um, what ended up happening is, uh, and I don't know if you guys have ever talked about him or ever met him and he'd be an interesting guy. If you could get him on a podcast, there was a gentleman that owned a company um, are you guys familiar with Carbon Tech at all? Yeah. Have uh, you no. ever heard of them? So Carbon Tech is a company owned by a gentleman by the name of Rick McKinney. Um, and in hunting world, most people probably haven't heard of him. Even in the target world at his age now, in his generation, a lot of people haven't heard of him. Um, he's one of the most decorated Olympic archers of all time. One of the most de- decorated U.S. archers of all time. Um, he left that after he retired. Um, he shot on two Olympic teams, won several medals. One, he, I think he was world champion, individual world champion, four times in his career. He has multiple um, arrows named after him, so he must be good. He has multiple. He has multiple awards named, and there's lots of things named after him. But he was with Easton for a while as an engineer, and then he went over and he started carbon or bought into Carbon Tech, and he's been running that for about the last probably 30 years now. High-end target arrows is kind of his specialty. He does everything, but his his niche is, and you know, that's his that's his wheelhouse. Um, I used to go to him when I was in China. 
I was introduced to him somehow, uh, I think through my father, uh, somehow he met him. And I was introduced to him and I would go every year at ATA, I'd go into his booth on the last day and I would beg him to make arrows for us. And at the <laughs> time he was making arrows, his factory was in Sacramento, California. And um, he'd always tell me the same thing. Hey, I, I'd like to help you. Um, I'm having, you know, it's hard enough making my own stuff. Um, and, and then not only do, did he, I'm asking him to OEM, but I'm asking him to OEM a tapered arrow and he knew all about tapered arrows and how hard that was to do. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, he's like, Hey, I, I, you know, so this went on for about three or four years. I'd go every year and I'd say, Hey, can you help me? And he would, I would call him actually at times from China, from a factory and I'd get him on the phone with the engineer at three in the morning and he would talk to the guy. And so, I mean, we owe him a lot for yeah. getting us through a lot of things. And I mean, it, it, he's a competitor. He didn't have to do any of that stuff, obviously. Yeah. So it got to the point where um, uh, starting in the 2010, 2011, I went to him, same thing. And he said, hey, I got something. And we we're like, what's that? And that, that something was, he was friends with the gentleman that owned a company that I had never heard of in Korea called Win and Win. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I know who they are now, but yeah. uh, and much less didn't know his background. Uh, the the CEO, the founder of that company, um, he was the Olympic coach for the ninety eight. I'm sorry, the eighty eight Olympic team that won their first gold all around gold medal for Korea against Rick McKinney's team that, that Rick won. Mm. So that was the first time they were like, so. And they afterwards would go on tour together and do talks, and they big they both very. Uh, influential inside the target market for obvious reasons. Um, so what he said, hey, I got this friend. He owns this factory. They do high-end carbon. And for whatever reason, I'm, I'm going to shut my factory down in Sacramento. I'm going to take all my machinery and I'm going to move it to Korea and he's going to start making arrows. The problem is if I do that, my, my volume isn't high enough. So I need you to do it with me. So it Go makes in. it worth their Go time. In with me. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm like, well, let me think about that for a second. The answer is yes. You know, what do we have to do? So that was great. That was the first big major step for us in a technological advance. We were in with guys that were archery guys, not in the Chinese factory. And that understood archery and that had the capability to build stuff. Yeah. Um, even for us at that point, it was still really difficult to make. And about that time is when Victory really started knocking and talking to us and saying, hey, we're really interested in what you guys are doing. We'd really like to see, would you be interested in us looking at building your arrows for you? And um, it's kind of funny. We were very hesitant for a while because – we didn't know if they could do it and we yeah. didn't know, we knew who they were and we, we knew all the players. Um, we didn't know if they could, we were at a factory that we knew we could do, but we were up against the wall of where we were going to go on our technology. Right. And we're like, man, if we really, if we really believe in this stuff and we really want to do it, we're going to take this leap of faith and we're going to move everything to victory. And it's been a just, I think it's, I hope they would say the same thing. It's been fantastic for us. And I think it's, it's been really good for them also. Um, it, it covered a big, a big hole in their marketplace that they were trying to fill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, that, so I, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding this correctly. So effective, yeah. effectively before they were made by the, the same car manufacturer that was making everything for win and win. 
No, it was actually made at Win and Win. In oh, fact. made at okay. Well, that makes it yeah, even no, more they difficult. Were, it, for, for the listeners would, who don't know, Win and Win, when it comes to like traditional, or oh, they even have some compounds out too. They uh, do, but it, really their thing is their carbon target boats. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. and right. their their high end target target carbon stuff is like it. Like it's, it's you it. know, I it's think like, if yeah. you look at the last four Top Olympic show. cycles, yeah. if you look at the last four Olympic cycles for the stands for it's Chevy and Ford and NASCAR, it's Hoyt yeah. and win and win in, in Olympic archery. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are, there's other guys too, but I mean, you look at the, in the, the medals and I think, I don't know if they'd have to go back and I, I could misquote that, but they have as I would say in the last four cycles, they're going to have at least as many medals than anybody, including men's all around gold yeah. that they've had with their yeah. bows. So they're um, making super high end. They're making those to go win gold medals with. But yeah, exactly. no, it's it's good stuff. I, I run on my ILF rig. I run uh, Winx shorts uh, yep. limbs, and man, they're they're pretty. And smooth. that's kind of and even uh, for them, that's their thing is their limbs. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. their that's yeah. where that's that, that that's Ray Park, the owner. That's his thing. Is, is yeah, limbs. So man, that's but point. I guess point being, like that's that was uh that's quite the leap of faith for sure to <laughs> to leave a company like win and win to have somebody else start making your stuff for you even if it is victory and you know they're a phenomenal uh company and uh well and they're uh, they're owned by a, a larger conglomerate that kind of helps them out uh in in that aspect well and that well i don't know I'll, I'll let you wait into uh the the uh uh, I don't even know what to call that. The background ownership of, model, yeah, yeah. The ba- the background of victory would probably be a good uh, a good jumping off point. Well, here, that was a it was a big part for Todd and I in our decision making together on how we were going to do this and really our long term plans for the company and what we were. And again, what we started sitting down and we're like, what do we really want to build, and and how are we going to get there. And we're little, we have, you know, and, and we're trying to push this stuff. So we need to be with somebody that can help us push it. Um, so that was a big part of it. Um, what probably a lot of listeners wouldn't know is Mitsubishi is owned by a golf company. Um, the name of that golf company, they're, they're, they're now been broken out Victory since all these by, buyouts. Yeah. Victor, I'm sorry, Victory. Victory. No, I don't know what I said. Victory, so Victory <laughs> is owned. Who did I say? Mitsubishi. Say? Mitsubishi. Oh, Mitsubishi. Well, I let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> Freud. Hey, Freud. Um, so yeah, no. So Victory is, is owned by Aldo the Golf, um, which is a car, a, a company based in Carlsbad, California, the largest OEM manufacturer for golf shafts in the world. Um, they were purchased several years ago by the largest OEM supplier of prepreg carbon in the world, which is Mitsubishi. So Victory's parent company now is Mitsubishi. So for us, when we were looking at this and for technology, there was a, a, some really big things that were coming up for us. Um, that one was that they, they built the carbon. So no one was going to be ahead of us on the curb on the raw materials. The other one, because they built that, they were the only vert- vertically integrated manufacturer that mm-hmm. it was everything from the pre-preg all the way to when I took the product out of the box. And control when you're making this stuff at the high end is paramount. It's This stuff is, not, is, is difficult to make. So yeah. that yeah. was what was attractive to us. And we were... Even at Win and Win or any of, of – there, there's only a few factories in the world that can even build this kind of stuff. 
um, if you, in any of those factories, you're still up against the fact that they're buying their car carbon from essentially someone from, else. Mit- yep. from Mitsubishi, probably. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so you're you're up against that and supply and in the chain and things that you would worry about as you want to grow a small company into a bigger company. That hey, they have a great model in place. They're 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 very active in the market right now. They're getting more and more aggressive, and um, I, it's going to. It's nice to be able to really be. I I think Todd will say too. It's it, a lot of times we feel like we're, you know, the kids in in Charlie's Chocolate Factory. You know, we <laughs> have these crazy ideas that there's no way we should be able to build this stuff because the tooling alone on a lot of this stuff we couldn't afford. Oh, but sure. they have that in place, and you know, it's our. We go in with them, and we it's our designs, and we say this is what we want to do, and they say, you know, under our constraints, these are the tweaks that we're going to do, and boom, there's a product, and and so for us, I think we've been lining up. I think we're working on, you know, we're working on several projects right now, some of which there's a good chance may never even come to fruition. We may never see them, but we're just chasing some different stuff that they're looking with. Yeah, you were mentioning before about the extortions. Yeah, 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 we were talking and, about the extortions before. And, you know, that technology and, you know, we, we started talking to these guys three or four years ago and they were showing us that technology at the time before the, it was two years before the Arrow actually came out to market and they were building it in a golf shaft. And it was, I guess that would be the other one. If you really want to kind of guess where any of this is going, you can go look at high end <laughs> golf shafts. You, yeah. You yeah, can yeah, kind exactly. of get a gauge on, yeah. on, on the materials that we on. What I, might because that that's really pushing a lot of this. I guess I could definitely um, tell you what kind of person you are if you look at a golf shaft and you're like, man, this would make a really nice arrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, 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 it's the same guys, right? It's the guys. It's the fly rod guy. It's the arrow yeah, guy. Yeah, it's exactly. the golf shaft guy. We're all we're all making them in the same factories for the most yep. part. Same idea. Uh, so that was that's the history on how we've how we came to be uh, on that side. It, the, the Steve Greenwood is the gentleman that he's the general manager for, for victory. Um, he came to us probably five or six years ago at SCI. The first time I met him, um, was at SCI. He came in our booth and he was going on a Cape Buffalo hunt and he needed broadheads. And I, you know, I set him up with some Ashby's and he went and shot a, shot a Cape Buffalo one shot him. And, you know, it was like, Hey, you know, it, we, we kind of hit it off after that. And, um, he's, He's been he's been really good. He's been a great guy and a great asset, not only for us, but I, I would even say for the industry, for some of the big guys to start pushing technology again. I think mm-hmm. we can, we've been in a rut for a while, yeah. and and they've really ramped up to start pushing where we're going to go with some of this stuff. Yeah. Well, the uh, the first shaft that you guys came out with uh, with Victory was the TDT. Um, which has been, okay. So is it, it's a momentum TDT, I should say, uh, um, is it's been a kind of a, a a change for you guys, I feel like. And, and Rob, Rob has kind of mentioned this to me, which was like, I've made it, made it click, uh, that it, it really opened up the market for you guys, for guys that, uh, you know, were interested in, in using, uh, tapered shafts uh, that uh, hadn't necessarily used them for smaller game like whitetail or turkey or stuff like that. And just kind of, it gave you the ability to not uh, uh, not be tied down to something that was a little heavier. I know you guys had like the UFOCs and the, uh, I think the Sitkas that, were, that weren't as heavy as the Blacks. Uh, but how, uh, um, how has the uh, uh, reception been on the TDT since you guys have launched them? I'm giving that one to you, Todd. 
take it, Todd. That's funny because I was I was uh, thinking of just a little interjection I was going to do. So I wasn't even hardly listening to the question. I was waiting for it to get done <laughs> because I, I wanted to say that you know because you, you're you're mentioning our previous generations and they were all uh, a larger diameter. And we yeah. tried the TDT mm-hmm. win and win, and it ended up getting basically recalled. Like, yeah, we can't, we can't, we can't do this. And 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 we were with mm-hmm. a stellar company oh. that was fantastic in their niche. They made fantastic bows, but arrows was just kind of this side thing, maybe for yeah. capacity in their sure. in their factory. And then when we switched over to Victory, now we were with this company that arrows was their passion. Arrows was their area of expertise, and they were able to bring us, give us this TDT with their changes, like Garrett said, and it has been seriously phenomenal because the specs are so much tighter than what we could ever uh, offer before, and the performance, and we had a, like a redesign on our in-out cert, and that thing's been tougher than ever. As a matter of fact, it's, it's one of the toughest in the industry today for basically a factory in outside. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Factory wise, yeah. it is you know, above and beyond anything else that I've dealt with. I mean and Agreed. well we've been doing some torture testing on our what's that? Oh, I was just gonna say from from a durability and a versatility standpoint, you really can't compete with that bonded in outsert that you know we're we're using on the TDTs. Well, we tested it by shooting it into a cement wall. It, mm-hmm. it fared well. And then we're doing some uh, torture <laughs> testing on some prototype broadheads right now. And one of our tests to uh, force failure, basically, the last test was shooting in basically into a bag of rocks, Just shooting these arrows into a bag of rocks. Now, there was someone else's arrow used, three shots, three destroyed arrows. So our testing individual switched back over to TDTs and the entire rest of the testing was done with a single TDT that never broke. And you would think that those, that those, that it would, because when you're shooting through rock, there's a lot of lateral pressures. Yeah. Severe lateral pressures because they're deflecting. And I mean, it's, it's terrible. I mean, he was getting literally like four inches of penetration into this bag of rocks, which tells you all that energy jumped (laughs) In a very dramatic <laughs> way, a very violent yeah. way, in four yeah. inches, and and not one insert failed. And that's that's awesome for us. Well, it, it's funny that you say that because, as I've I've kind of quit doing broadhead tests, but when I first started in in this, that's um, Isaac Justice and I were playing around with all kinds of different stuff, and I still have one of my first sets of. Uh, UFOCs, and that was my; those were my test arrows. And at this point, I believe that I've destroyed probably somewhere between three and four dozen broadheads, other industry broadheads. Right, um, right. And I haven't broken one of those shafts yet. <laughs> oh well, fantastic! I, I still got those same those same shafts. That if if someone asks me to try and destroy something, I'm grabbing one of those because they're just like my 
my old lucky shafts. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that goes back to us. We were talking about originally when we were looking at them, it was the stump shooting. It was that yeah. we were, yeah. we didn't yeah. want them to break. And that's why we, one of the reasons we went with a woven carbon and not a linear carbon, it's, it's the lateral strength on it's much stronger. Yeah. It's also a much more ex- expensive product Way more expensive. by default when you buy it. Yep. So, so as a raw material <clears throat> when you're using it. So that's why the, the aero shafts cost more when you see them with any of the, those weaves on them like mm-hmm. that. Um, it's, it's a more expensive, it's a more expensive carbon, but that, that was, I, it was, that was our thing that we were chasing was to get them to not break. Um, and as a lead in to when we eventually found Dr. Ashby or he found us, um, one, you know, the number one thing on his list on the top 12 enhancing, you know, penetration enhancing factors was structural integrity. And we're like, Hey, we already do that. That was kind of cool. We you know that was, <laughs> we could check that one off, you know, when we started out, yeah. right. That was, yep, you know, yeah. we did that, you know, and we didn't mean to, that wasn't the intention. That wasn't the design. It was, it was one that we, we back to, we just didn't want them to break when we were hitting stuff hard. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I, I think that one of the things that lends you guys to being so durable uh, is the fact that they are tapered and you've got so much, but like, you've got a nice thick wall of carbon on the front end that's going to shore up everything. And for, for any listeners that may not, uh, exactly. uh, that, that don't know, uh, Grizzly Stick and now like two or maybe maybe two other companies are the only ones that make a, the, a true. There's... Th- there's- Four now. Four total? There's four. four. There's four tapers out in the marketplace. Okay. Uh, so Par- the, the, everybody's parallel the taper. And we're, I think we're just the only continuous. It's a gotcha. minor detail, but yeah. it's, no. it's it, just it, a manufacturing thing. It sets you apart. And, and, and so yeah. it's, that's, that's it's the technology ours. that you get into. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so And uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about it. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it throughout the episode and, and in other episodes. But tapered shafts have just like infinite number of benefits uh but durability uh structural integrity number one on the uh on the uh 12 penetration factors list uh is is a huge huge deal with tapered shafts because they've got so much beef on the front end and it just it's so helpful i'm literally sitting here scrolling through facebook and i just came up to the uh post that you guys made this morning about the a traditional <laughs> shot, uh, on a, f- a full frontal shot on a giraffe oh, yeah. that, yeah, that yeah. penetrated all the way to the heart on a, on a recurve. Now, granted, I mean, it was a heavier recurve, but still it's a giraffe with a recurve, with yeah. a recurve. <laughs> Greg McTee. Oh my yep. goodness. Just, I mean, it just blows mm-hmm. my mind. Uh, so and then, he said that he was so excited that he didn't get the full draw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just saying. He, he was so excited he didn't oh. even get the full draw. Well, and it was it, crazy. He got it. Yeah, that's a great story. He's a great guy. Yeah, uh, really. Here's why I know we'll never run out of guests because I'm just going to call up Todd or Garrett and be like, "Yo, I need names of hunters that have killed stuff with your stuff." And and then they'll, they'll just I know they're just an infinite <laughs> it, amount of great stories that are going to keep it, coming. And, they're, and it's funny, most of the the crazy ones, and we every once in a while, you know, I'll even come across a guy. We had a, a newer gentleman to our company within the last year, and and he keeps sending me stuff, and I'm like, 
Dude, I I deal with guys that kill a lot of stuff, and you're on a rampage right now, you know, <laughs> killing big and killing big stuff, you know, and you know, and lots of it, you know. You're like, holy cow! Um, and I, I, you do get those guys. It's what I was going to say. That's funny about it is almost zero of them have a social media site or you know, a yeah. social media presence. Zero, you know. Yep. They're, those are the guys out, yeah, and they're busy, they're, they're old, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's that, and you know, the demographics for those guys. Exactly. Doing it, you know, those guys. The important, yeah, ex- the important. And, you know, I'd say the vast majority of those guys are over 55 yeah. you know, that are doing it at that level at that, you know, doing it that much. Yeah. Well, when, when, uh, uh, Rob and I came down to DSC, uh, not this past year, but the year before yep. and hung out down there and hung out around your booth, there was a lot of, uh, guides, uh, uh guides and clients that would come over and the guide would say, hello, Todd, Jake, Garrett. Uh, I think it was just you three. I don't think there was anyone else there. Uh, but here is so-and-so that's going uh, yeah. uh, hunting for this species. Uh, set them up. Have a good day. And they bounce yep. out. And then it was you guys. And I just, it was just turning and turning and turning yeah. and turning. <laughs> guys coming all over all the time. So what yeah. uh, I, I know, I know you guys have got some, some, I know you've been kind of keeping track of stuff for, uh, for your African big game. What, uh, what uh, just talk about like, the the track record that you guys have over in Africa, uh, well, and, and everywhere really. Uh, you know, that Garrett, you t- told us before uh, uh, another record. I, I won't I won't give out any details in case in case in case we're not supposed to. But uh, it, all these guides just continually recommend if you're going after something that can kill you, they keep sending people to you guys. Uh, and I don't think there's a coincidence there. No, and I think that went back to when we started at the beginning, you know, my father being a guide, the mentality of how difficult that is, um, and the the mindset and the philosophy, um, every inch of penetration, your life is exponentially getting easier as yes. a guide. Yeah, oh yeah. So you can't I can't make that arrow penetrate I don't care where he hits it. I, I do care, but he's if he hits it, the best thing that can happen for me as the guide is let that thing keep penetrating. Dear God, let it hit something that knocks this thing out, you know, quickly, um, you know, and that's really been our message to them over time. Um, and then really for Todd and I, Todd was is a really big component for this on, on how we work together and how we bounce this stuff off each other. But um, 10 years ago, we would, well, we were like everybody else back 10 years ago and we would go to ATA. And back then, we were basically a trad company selling really expensive trad stuff. Mm-hmm. And we would go in and for whatever traffic we could get in our booth, we would just get beat up. Yep. They would, why, why my customer won't buy it? Why, why it's too heavy? It's too expensive. It's too, 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 too. It's, you know, they're just nonstop. And we just, we couldn't get anywhere. And, oh, yeah. and, and I, I, you know, Todd used to watch me, the anxiety that I would have walking into that room. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I hated ATA and we used to just get, we used to get beat up. And even back 10 years ago, there was still a three or four year waiting list at SCI. Um, With my background prior to coming into the family business was in conservation. I knew a couple of people. I made some phone calls and I I got a booth at SCI for us. And once we got into SCI, we immediately stopped going to ATA. Yeah, and we decided we're we are going to embrace consumer direct wholeheartedly, and we're going to go. We make this stuff for these guys. They don't know who we are, 
but we're going to go to them and we're going to start talking not so much to the customers at the beginning. We're going to go start talking to the PHs and, 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 and have them and tell them the story and, and relate to them from our own experiences of guiding. One other thing on mindset and, and, and I, I, I've been, I, I'm on record of talking about this also, but going for me growing up, you know, the main rifle, we had basically one rifle in our household. Um, in a, in a, in a bear guiding household, and that rifle was a three seventy five H and H, and we shot three hundred solids out of it. Ooh. We shot Sitka, we shot Sitka blacktails with it. We shot goats with it. We shot sheep with it. And the reason that we shot that rifle was because if you walked into Mister Brown, as my father would say, everything stopped right now. We we don't have to discuss anything. Everything will stop. Right. And that was our mindset. Back to the, we didn't want the arrows to break, and we like three seventy five H and Hs with three hundred solids. In it. I want to hit something and I want to knock it down. I don't want it to get back up again. So that really started feeding a lot of the general, as we were, you know, as we were talking earlier, as we were going through those different factories on the arrows, that's the general direction we were kind of working towards as we were just trying to get better at doing those things, get them to not break, get them to fly better, be more consistent um, and, and chase those things down. And with that and going to the shows, as we went through that and started talking to those PHs, I'd say taught three, four years, you know, it was, it took time. And then all of a sudden I would say three or four years into it, we didn't, it started to be, we didn't introduce our, we didn't, when people would come to the booth, we didn't have to explain who we were anymore. At least at, at, yeah. at, at SCI yeah. and at Dallas. Yeah. yeah. They knew, you know, oh, my PH told me to come or, you know, I know you, or I saw you last year. And, and then I would say we were laughing in the last two years the amount of PHs that we get to see. And, you know, we really like working with them and we, we enjoy them. They're just P guides are amazing people. You know, they're just, they're, they're different kinds of people. They're, yeah. They're a different and, breed for sure. And, and they are. And I, you know, I just, I have an affinity towards all of them. I really like them. And I like, I, and so we try to spend as much time with them, get as much information from them. And they've been really valuable resources for us beyond the customer base. Um, that, of course, is very important. But what we get that's been so important, and you alluded to that at the beginning of this, was we get a lot of feedback so we can keep pretty copious notes on what's actually happening with our gear and our customers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's something different for us that I think when you're selling through dealers, you know, if you go to, if you go to a dealer and you buy a Cape Buffalo rig and he sets you up um, and you go and you get a Cape Buffalo, you normally, most guys, they don't send the picture to Easton, they send the picture to the, the guy that built the arrows for them. Right. So when we were sending, when we were building all this stuff, consumer direct, that was the other thing for us. People were like, how did you get all those pictures? And I'm like, well, we, we, we actually know the guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, I've, I've talked to him for, you know, hours on the phone about doing this stuff. So, you know, it's pretty easy when they start, you know, when they get back, they seem, they've done a great job over the years for us is keep, keep sending in and telling the story of what's going on when they're, where they're out hunting with this stuff. Yeah, that's, I mean, I can't. Uh, well, I want to interject a little different perspective, go actually. For it. Yeah, do it, do it. Well, I mean, Garrett, you brought up the ATA and that. And, and of course, I remember specifically when we decided that just wasn't working. You, you just weren't getting anywhere with the dealers because they didn't want to hear it. And what I recalled is when we started going direct to the consumer, we were talking to the guys that had seen failure. Yep. We were talking to the guys yeah. that had felt the pain of loss, had had the frustration of crappy penetration. And of course, they were going to embrace something that would work because we were going to be able to 
make them more efficient, make them more lethal. And that's what happened. And of course, we started with the big, big stuff because people couldn't take it. There was nothing else out there that they could hardly ever get any consistency with. And so we started having guys over in Africa shooting the big stuff, uh, over in Australia shooting the big stuff, Argentina. But then we would hear from PHs, like the one guy with the with the giraffe. I've taken a lot of bow hunters after giraffe. That is the first one that was ever killed with the arrow. This was amazing. And so I feel part of it also, that transition was the retail consumer the serious bow hunter that embraced the technology that would work for him, influencing the PHs and guides because when they saw it, they went, "What? Yeah. What was that? Yeah, I've never seen that before. I, arrows can't do that. That's ridiculous." <laughs> and so I, I think, I think I, I pride ourselves in reaching out to the grassroots, to the bow hunters themselves, which was a long, long, long hard oh, yeah. battle, and you had your. Oh, and we're still fighting. Oh, I mean, but now you're seeing more and more companies pop up. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, we're still. I mean, we're not even a blip on the radar when it comes to annual sales and any of this stuff. I mean, it's we're still a very small. But we're you know we have laser like focus on who who our customer base is right now, and that's and we work really hard at at, at building the stuff for those guys to go do that stuff. Well, it's the yeah. industry definitely is starting to move. Um, I mean, it's, Absolutely. I got into this, I guess, heavily about five years ago. And that's, I've been, you know, working with you guys and Jake for the past almost four years. And I mean, like you said, it's, you definitely start with the guys that have have struggled that have seen failures and you know they're open to you know uh, some solution and once you prove it out with those guys now that just slowly starts spreading because those guys yep. are going to be the ones that right. are going to talk about it and go man like <laughs> this never could have yeah. happened if i wouldn't have made this change right and as that slowly spreads, it's amazing the the reaction that can slowly start happening and just spreading. Um, I mean, like my local market is whitetail and turkey. And we've got guys that do go, you know, out west or, you know, might go out, you know, travel for some larger game. But it's, you know, when they start seeing what guys are doing with elk and with big game over in Alaska and they're going, man, I can't get a pastor on a whitetail. Like what, what's going on over here? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's been really, really fun being involved in seeing this change happen. And uh, I, I definitely think that that you guys were a, a major factor in what, what's been happening the last couple of years. Well, thank you. Oh, we pioneered the yeah, movement that, for I, sure. Absolutely. I think we were the guys pushing it at the beginning. I, it's interesting. As mm-hmm. the new companies are coming, especially the broadhead guys, we've mm-hmm. heard a lot of people asking us, you know, you know, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And 
Todd and I were pretty, I think, open-minded about this and eyes wide open. And we looked at something that we watched happen in hunting just 10 years before um, with Sitka. And I don't know if you guys remember, but, and I was involved at some level with those guys when they were still in California. So when they were still fairly new and Mm -hmm. watching them, watching them grow. And those first two years they came out, I mean, they got beat up. Mm-hmm. Who needs this shit? Yeah. It's so expensive and da 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 da. And, you know, just blah, blah, yeah. blah. Ten years later, they had ten competitors with one of them being Under Armour who competes with Nike. Yeah. I mean, think about <laughs> I mean, how fast that happened. Yeah. That, right? that was I mean, a whirlwind. Just boom. And, right? And, and so we yeah, were kind of like – if this thing ever tips the other way, right, we're never going to be ahead of it. You're never going to control it. But what we said is we just want to be one of the guys five years from now, if it does tip, that we're still here, that we actually survive yep. it. That would be one. Um, and and number two, right now, the way we see it is people are, you know, coming back to the, is they'll be like, Hey, you know, what do you think about these new guys? What do you think? And I'm like, I honestly love it. I love them all. I want more guys to come in. I want more better broadheads because I want the market to move to that. That's the new direction that things move. Um, Todd and I also used to talk about the other example in, in duck hunting for me was, you know, this would be back a little longer, 20 years ago, you know, you would go into like a Max Prairie Wings or a Cabela's catalog and you would go flipping through and there would be all the $10 and $20 duck calls and they'd have one little page with the two hundred with the $120 turned acrylics, right? <laughs> now there's 50 pages of $120 calls to flip through, right? I can't, I mean, there's, you can't go try to find a call for 30 exactly. bucks Exactly. Right? You know, you, you know, everybody makes the high end stuff. Yep. So, um, I think... I think that's where the market's going to go. I, you know, obviously we've been we've been betting and hedging on that for a while now that it's going to shift that way. I think with Easton coming out with the tapered shaft, um, I think that validates a lot of where we're going. What we've been trying to do with this, obviously, um, we agree with them um, wholeheartedly on tapers are a better way to go. It's just a, it's a better system in many ways yep. uh, when you're trying to get an arrow to go. So I think that's what you're going to be seeing. Uh, Victory came out with their tapered arrow this year for, uh, for it's, it, it's a target it's arrow. A micro tar- it's a micro target, isn't it? It'll be, in- yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that gets accepted over time on that. And that's, yeah. I think they're going to start pushing more on the entree into, into they're going to start pushing more on target, especially yeah. with that arrow. And they have a product to push now um, that is really different. Um, but I think what you're going to start seeing eventually is if you're not making a taper, you're not going to be in the game. Yep. I mean, so I think eventually it's going to, you're going to start seeing it for, on, on all fronts. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's funny because well, for sure, if you're not shooting a taper, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> it's funny because I forget how many years ago Easton had a paper that came out, um, going through a bunch of the different types of arrows and it was more target oriented. And Easton, I, I, I don't mean to catch up. You, you can Google it right now. It's still out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I, Google I can't remember, Easton tapered arrow. I can't remember when that Google, came out. Um, uh, I, I but tell, it, I it was quite a few favorites. years ago, and I always laughed because people would say, "Well, if tapers are so good, why is no one else doing them?" And I'm like, "Go look up 
what Easton yeah, says right. about tapers. Like you trust Easton. They're a they're a and big known read, and, name. And did you read why they said they didn't do it? Cost. Too, too expensive. Back then, it was too expensive, <laughs> exactly. right? They're, they're awesome. They're superior arrows. Yeah. They're just too expensive to make, yep. right? That's in that. And it was my go-to for guys that that you know pushed back on the technology aspect. Was go look at what these other companies are saying. Like, yeah, it's expensive to make, but there are clear benefits to doing it. So, depending on on what you're wanting out of your shaft, determines whether or not you you say that it's worth. The cost. I think the uh, target shaft from Victory is going to do really well in field archery. Now, I don't have a yeah. ton of experience with field archery, but what I've seen that don't they shoot it like seventy meters or something? Like it's it's far. I know it's a long old, ways. Old Fita and I. I didn't know any of that before hanging out with Rick McKinney and Ray Park at Win and Win. And um, so Fita, they shoot thirty, fifty, seventy. Yeah. Okay. And that's I, uh, that's the way they used to do it. I'm not I'm not sure if what the rules are still, but the, that's how they used to shoot feet. It was 37, 30, 50, 70. And like anything, any triathlete, everybody had a strong one. Everyone had a weak one. Right, right. And yeah, I, I feel like a tapered. I, I'm pretty sure it's a micro, the new Easton uh, or the new uh, victory uh, uh, tapered shaft. But I feel like a micro tapered shaft would absolutely murder in field. Like, I feel like it would do really, really well in the wind and being able to cut through everything. Like uh, I'm, we we used to talk to guys about um, the difference in FOC when they would make you know and and they would say hey you know I don't need anything over let's just say twelve or thirteen percent an arbitrary number that they would pick right. but I don't need any more than that right and and you know or, or guys that were shooting you know single digit FOC on stuff and we would talk to them and I'm like you know you realize that in target archery all they're doing is punch in feta they're all they're doing is punching holes in paper most of those guys when they shoot thirty and fifty meters. We're shooting arrows at about 14, 13 to 14% FOC mm -hmm. for carry and drift. Mm -hmm. When they went to 70 meters, their arrows go to 18% FOC. And I'm like, so they're punching holes in paper and you're trying to stick it through an animal. And they have, it's not, and for us, it's always been, it's not so much weight. It's how much weight we can jam in the front end of that arrow. Yep. Right. And then that, that's all the FOC is telling and so the more and the more weight you can jam in the front, doesn't matter who the manufacturer is, the easier it's going to penetrate when you hit something with it. Yep. What's so that slug value? It, it, there, what's that, there you go. Yep. And so that's what I'm like, the target guys are doing it. Why don't we do it? Why don't we do the same thing in hunting? It doesn't make any sense. Well, I'm shooting pronghorns at 70 yards. Like, put a high, you can, the arrow can be lighter, but get your FOC up as mm -hmm. high as you can get. Yep. Yep. And that's uh, the general consensus from, uh, and to, to kind of go back to what you were talking about with embracing competitiveness and being on the, uh, uh, how do they say it on the right side of history? Uh, the, the majority of people that we've talked to on this, on this podcast that are, you know, are technically your competitors or are in the like better arrow industry are all on board with, uh, with having more competition and having just the better arrow like movement, better broadhead movement happen uh, be and, and because I, everyone I, benefits. I, and I, it's really interesting to see on the first rabbit hole without getting too far off, but it's really interesting to see what's happened with the industry in the last five years. So yep. for consumers, they, they probably don't know, like obviously that we see it when we're inside the industry. But in the last five years, there's been a massive, massive consolidation. Um, it happened in fishing about 15 years ago. 
I don't know what the numbers are. I'm going to throw out, I'm probably not that far off. I'd say that probably eight or nine companies now own 75% of all the archery. Oh, yeah. Are all all in these groups. You may not be able to say it, but Faradine owns like 30 brands or something. Yeah. Vista yeah. Outdoors. There's a couple other ones. Like, yeah. Vista owns a bunch. Um, Arcus group, owns a bunch. I mean, there's, 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 there's a bunch of them, you know, and they, and most of them don't own just one, right? They own three or four in, in the archery, in the archery market, usually. And so what's happened is when the archery industry went through that, um, I don't know why it was, and I missed it again. I missed the dot com bubble and I missed this big bubble somehow too. <laughs> um, but the companies were going off on these massive valuations, 10 to 15 time valuations on annual sales. And what happened is these groups have all – and archery was booming five years ago. I mean, booming. Yeah. And I, I have – my own personal theory was I think it had a lot to do with Brave and, and had a lot to do with uh, Hunger Games. Yep. It was bringing in a lot of kids into it and it was fueling everything else. Um, it was almost the same syndrome that you saw when Brad Pitt in uh, Legends River of not Legends of the Fall right? was the fly fishing one. Uh, River runs yeah, through, yeah. right? Yep. For ten years after that, you know, the industry just exploded after that. Um, so what ended up happening is a lot of these big groups they bought up all these companies, they paid a lot of money for them. At simultaneously, in the last two years, the market is really softened and slowed. Mm-hmm. So what you're seeing is. And and now I could say that, but and you can you can look at it with your own eyes. Where's all the tech? Where is all the push coming from in the technology? Where's all the new products coming from? It's all coming at the bottom in the little guys. Yep. There's nothing. The big guys are not pushing anything new because they're trying to save their butts for how much money they just paid for these companies. Yep. Yep. And exactly. and try to get it out. And and I would be and if I was in their position, I would be too. But they're sure not dumping a bunch of money in R and D and trying to push the envelope. They're, they're trying to milk that cash cow right now. Mm-hmm. And so. It, it is good to see, especially in the broadheads. And, and for us, we've always looked at it also. Broadheads are broadheads. And what I mean by that is I've often compared them to like putters. You know, when people start talking about it's the best, I just – my eyes roll back in my head on anything. When they start talking about our broadheads is the best, my eyes kind of roll back. I'm like, they're the best for that person in that situation. There's no best. There's, you know, there's ones that work better. There's, I, and I said, they're like putters. It's, it's, it's based on the individual. Yep. Yeah. For us, the flip side of that is arrows. We wanted the best arrow to drive. I didn't care who the broadhead was. I want to build the best arrow to drive, put, put, put whatever you want to put on the front of it. I want it to stick out the other side. Exactly. Well, and that's the, the one cool thing is as a lot of these smaller companies are trying to push the envelope, are trying to, you know, start working in better materials and, you know, make some of these changes that the the larger industry as a whole have, have kind of been ignoring. Um, it breeds competitiveness and it, and it pushes all the rest of the higher tier higher quality companies to continue pushing on their own products and that's one thing that that i love is everyone wins it's it's a you know as far as hunting goes as all this competitiveness is happening and you know okay these guys started using a better material now what can we do and all it does is it puts out better quality products to the guys that are looking for it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 
uh <clears throat> so here here comes the uh uh i just thought of it because i kept scrolling through your guys's facebook posts and just seeing tons of really <laughs> big animals that are uh, uh now uh being fed to villages and and uh, amongst other things uh i, I t- todd i want I, I love your perspective on things uh when i when i see you post some like stuff on social media and facebook i'm like oh man i, I never would have thought of things like this uh I, I would assume, and you know what they say about people who assume, uh, that you have seen the movie slash documentary Trophy. Uh, I would like to get your thoughts on that because I I thought it was great. Well, parts of it I thought were great. <laughs> no, sir. Well, I, 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 I yeah, I, I mean, no, you didn't like well, it? I haven't okay. seen it. Well, let's, let, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't no. seen it. Oh man, you should watch it, Garrett. Have you seen it? I, I've only seen parts of okay. it. Okay. Yeah. No, I haven't. Uh, Todd and I have been busy on our own little conservation kick lately. Yeah. So yeah. That's, yeah that's, we, that's, we haven't. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, that's your guys' homework. Uh, and when we when, no, when we and roll around I mean, with I, you guys I, again, I'm, I, I I'm obviously familiar with it. Now, now I feel shame. That's, 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 I appreciate that. <laughs> That's okay. Well, if, for for people who haven't uh, for people who haven't seen it or heard of it, it was it was originally a documentary where a documentary team like came together and said like we're going to make an anti hunting video uh, or an anti trophy hunting video, and so they like met met up with this guy who was a, a quote unquote trophy hunter, and that's a whole other discussion we could have. Uh, but they met up with this guy who was going to go to Africa and uh and hunt this wild game and then while they were like doing this documentary the people who were making it like realized that the african conservation model isn't nearly as simple as they thought it was or uh uh, wanted to make it out to be uh so they get like literally like halfway through the documentary they were like huh maybe this is what has to happen (laughs) and it's it's very like i thought from an outside perspective from somebody that uh, <clears throat> I was never necessarily, I, I was never necessarily anti-trophy hunting, I, I, but I mean, I, I don't know. I kind of had my qualms back and forth with, with the, with the model, uh, with the African hunting model. And then after watching that video and, and uh, watching the documentary and then doing some, some of my own research, I was like, oh yeah, this, this makes a lot of sense. So if you guys haven't seen it, the listeners, I would encourage you to go check it out because it's, it's and very I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to redeem myself a little bit. There is a documentary that I did see that is about the couple that made the documentary oh. and, and the change that they went through as they, and I was more, I didn't see the, and I should, but I, I watched that and to see, and I was more interested to see what it was that changed their mind yeah. and what they saw. And, um, you know, it's it's obviously a very controversial part of our customer base um, and what they do. And we try to be as active in it as we can on the conservation side mm-hmm. and work with a lot of the PH organizations uh, in South Africa, in, in, in the countries that can hunt, also especially the countries that can hunt pachyderms, hunt, hunt elephants and rhinos and hippos. Right. Um, so on, on the big stuff, um, because it is so controversial. And not only that, what... What happens a lot of times is those organizations want to issue archery tags. Yes. Um, but they don't – what keeps coming back is they don't have the research to back it up. 
And the other thing that we found, which is ironic enough, when people want to talk about all they want is money and blah, 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 most of the feedback, especially in Zimbabwe in the last five years that we found, has been kicked back from the PH community for issuing tags for elephants, mm-hmm. not coming from – and the reason is they haven't liked the equipment and it hasn't worked very well. Um, so they want better equipment and they want more research to make sure that this is ethically what we're doing, especially when we get into an animal like that. Yeah. Um, and so we're seeing, we're seeing more and more work with those guys though, and more and more opportunity. But right now, um, with, as far as trophy hunting goes, there's really very few countries to bow hunt for trophy hunting. Right. Um, and there's even fewer pHs in those countries that specialize in taking guys to go do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you go through that Facebook page, you can see most of them. Yeah. There's, you know, there's the guys doing it. Yeah. Yep. So that's, I mean, well, they're, they're, they're the guys that are doing it. If you want, if you want an elephant tag in Zambia, there's four guys to call. I mean, that's, that's it. So, um, it, it helps when you make elephant arrows to know who those four guys are. I bet it does. All right, Todd. Well, I'll tee up another one for you. And I know, I know you can't, you can't duck this one. Uh, you do a lot of the, uh, lethality seminars, uh, at, at the, uh, at the big shows like DSE and, and SCI. Um, what are, what are some of the more like frequent questions that, that you get? And like, what do you, what do you really want people to take away from those seminars? Because I think they're, they're not only applicable to African game. I think they're applicable to all game, regard, regardless of, of, of whatever you're pursuing. Sure. Well, Grizzly Stick as a company is on this same wavelength. Same wavelength. When, when you do those seminars, it has nothing to do with a company, which I like. Because what we want is arrow lethality. We want bow hunter success. And we say that it's good for the PHs and guides. It's good for the bow hunters themselves. And it's even good for the animals. Because we're setting people up to be able to kill even when things go wrong. Yep. So what people are generally pushing back or asking about in the seminars is when it goes against something they've been told for so many years. Like... FOC doesn't matter. Speed I've been kills. told I don't need anything over eight to ten percent, and so we go through the whole thing, and we and we it, and I have a lot of good graphics in the seminar as well. So guys, they see the visuals, and it really opens their mind. And I I ask them to ask these questions that you brought up, and so they will. Like uh, one of the more controversial ones, like you you mentioned the big animals. So yeah, we we do really well on the big animals because we make arrows and broadheads that can really go deep because they hold the momentum, they can split bone. And so a lot of them are saying, yeah, but for North America, it's just overkill. And we think about that a lot because we tell people, well, would you rather have underkill? (laughs) I mean, you're seeing arrows and broadheads that you're shooting now that aren't giving you the kind of penetration that you want. And so let's say, yeah, you, you go through in the inside and out the outside every time. That's what you want. And you happen to hit a bone. That's what you want. You want to be able to get through it and get out the far side. And we tell people that um, you get a little controversial here, but now, oh, it's overkill on my whitetail. Yeah, but now you don't have to wait for a perfect broadside shot. You don't have to wait for a perfect quartering away shot. You've opened up some shot angles 
that it's no longer not ethical because you know that arrow and broadhead can get through to the lethal side, the lethal bits of the animal. And, and that really opens up a lot of eyes during the, during the seminars. But people push back about the momentum thing. They push on the kinetic energy thing. They push back on the mass weight. And you know what I really like is that everything we did as a company, Grizzly Stick, was really based on the Ashby teachings. So if people don't know the Ashby teachings, they're out there. We've got them on the Grizzly Stick website. It, you, any bow hunter owes it, owes it to himself, herself to read those. But then after we came out with these products and they've been in the field for all these years, now it's not just products that are based on theory and testing. It's products that have been proven in the field. Yep. So that's the exciting part of the seminars is open up everybody's eyes. Like my wife shoots 42 pounds. Oh, well, here's an example of this gal who shot uh, uh, an Eland. I, I think I know her. Whatever it was, I don't remember. Uh, Three you know, 24 <laughs> inches of penetration. You, you do. Yeah, I, I know. think you I do. Know. Uh, you know, with a 42-pound bow. I mean, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so anyway, it's just exciting when you know that you can help bow hunters be more effective and their arrows and broadheads be more lethal. And I think that's the takeaway from the seminars. No matter what the questions are, and we encourage them, of course, but that's the takeaway. And it's, I, I always love the overkill argument because, like, with gun hunting, I can completely understand overkill, right? If I shoot a whitetail with a big boar, there's going to be a a lot of waste. Like a 375 H&H? I mean, the... the no, when you shoot them with, sol- when well, you shoot them you with solids, you shoot literally, you shoot right through them. It's clean. I'm telling you. If you don't hit a bone, it's about well, the no, cleanest yeah, and, You shoot right through them. That, yeah, <laughs> so that's it. Solid, I, I can yeah. see that. But, like, yeah. you know, guys that are using, you know, like 30-06s and whatever, you, you end up with more waste just from the, imp- the, the hydrostatic shock. And with a bow... Bows don't cause hydrostatic shock. They're not causing that that uh, impact where you're causing muscle tissue damage Trauma. in the in the surrounding area. Right. You know, you're lacerating as you penetrate through, and so if if a 400 grain arrow passes through and a 900 grain arrow passes through and they have the same broadhead on the front, same path, then the same damage was done. And so what's overkill? It's all you're doing is stacking the deck in your favor by shooting as heavy as you're comfortable and you know looking at the other factors you know accordingly and so there's no as long as the shooter is comfortable with the setup there's no downside to it you know you're not losing any meat you're not there is no you know none of the the typical downsides to overkill you you aren't you aren't dreading shooting uh you know, a really heavy arrow like you might be if you're shooting a 300 wind mag out of a tree stand at a 
uh, at a 110 pound doe. Uh, I, why, do you, why do you have to be mean? <laughs> talk about those things. The, the, ret, the retina detacher, the 300 wind mag. Oh, it, my, my dad made me shoot a 300, <laughs> uh, 300 short mag when I was like 16. Yeah. And yeah, I was, it was oh. and I, I still twitch when I sleep. I don't know why. I <laughs> it was a, it's, it's a fun gun though. I really like oh. that gun. But yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's not like you're, you know, when you shoot a heavy arrow, it's not like you're bracing for impact and you're going to pull and flinch because you're you're worried about it. There, yeah, you're right. There, there are very little downsides to Typically, it. Typically, you're going to have a camera release. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, I don't know how many guys I've had that I've personally, you know, set up that you know go to. And I, granted, most of these guys are shooting some some type of a speed bow. You know, they're aggressive. They're snappy. And you put a heavy arrow into them and they, they calm down mm-hmm. and now the launch isn't nearly as violent and it's amazing what that can do for some people's uh, almost target panic. Yeah. Because the entire process huh. calms and becomes smooth. And it's amazing because, you know, you, you get a little bit of confidence boost just from understanding what you have and, and the advantage that you have in that in your new arrow. And that mental confidence bleeds over into better concentration on your target because you're not worried about the what ifs. And then the bow is calmer as a whole. So now your process is cleaner. You're not twitching. You're not punching as much because you're not anticipating as much. And now everything works better. Like it, all, it's it's I'm, amazing how often I see that. I'm also convinced that it puts off some type of weird aura within the arrow because any it seems like anytime I bring, you know, bring the heavy arrows out to go to go shoot amongst amongst the people uh it's always what kind of arrow is that and and it it's just this it, the bow is just stupid quiet uh and a lot of people are like how do you get a bow that quiet and well i shoot an arrow that's basically twice as heavy as yours uh <laughs> and uh and uh, just you know going to grab grab arrows out of a target with with people I, hell when i was shooting 3d last week and you know, we'd go and grab it out of the foam, uh, and it doesn't happen every time, but, uh, you know, I wasn't, I was shooting same pound bow as these other guys. It was, you know, low forties and, uh, my arrows were six, seven inches deeper buried in there when, you know, they're, they're, and they're just like, man, like that is wild. Actually, I, uh, well, uh, spoiler, I airmailed it on one and there's these like tarps behind it. And I just blew right through that tarp. And, uh, and other arrows are normally stopped by them. There weren't many holes in this tarp. And he, the guy goes, how heavy are your arrows? I was like, I don't know, like 665 <laughs> grains. And he's like, oh my God. And, uh, so it was, it was really, it was really funny to, uh, to kind of show that to those guys that don't have, have a ton of experience with that kind of stuff. Um, but there are some people who, uh, you know, they're, they're, setup or their trajectory uh comfortability uh doesn't trajectory comfort it might be a better way to put that uh isn't as uh it doesn't allow them to shoot as heavy a broadheads like 300 grains like rob and i do 
Uh, but you guys have a new line of broadheads uh, called the Red Lines mm-hmm. that are uh, getting getting some traction. I've seen some videos of those coming out of the package, and they are stupid sharp. Uh, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about those because they look they're pretty sweet. Your turn, Garrett. <laughs> All right. So uh, what we wanted to do, it, you know, so we had talked about best broadheads before. I had made mention of that. What we were really interested in trying to do is if there is a knock on our broadheads, one of the biggest ones is the price. And we get it. I mean, they're expensive. There's, it's a material cost. Um, and I always tell, I like to tell guys, you know, when you're buying our stuff, you're buying a high end knife blade. That's what you're shooting. You're not really shooting a broadhead anymore. Um, and, and that's really what you're paying for. If you think about it in that, in those terms, you're, you're buying a knife. Um, so we knew that that price, so we've been playing for the last couple of years on, on trying to come up with a steel that we could get the price point down on. And that could be more attractive and open that market up for a, a, a still a, more of a premium broadhead for a guy, a be, really sharp out of the package, really strong, uh, really good edge retention. But we could get the price down because the material cost when we were buying the raw material wouldn't be so high. Um, lucky for us, um, we have a really good chef is what I like to call him. Um, <laughs> and our chef is our guy in our factory that built our broadheads for us. And why I, I think he's more like a chef. He can take a material that isn't particularly good in it. Here's another important thing that I like to express for guys, especially when they're looking at the higher end steels on broadheads. If you look at the steel on a steel chart for knives and try to get it to translate to over to what happens with that steel when you throw it through space into an animal, it does not translate. We've tried pretty much everything yep. over the years and they all work they just don't necessarily work any better for the price and that's why we settled on the steel that we did and a lot of the steel that we settled on and on how we made it um our original manufacturer that we were the distributor for who we ended up buying our first line was the silver flame line and we're talking about these and he set that mm-hmm. standard Marcus did in Germany when he started making those. That was the sharpest, best broadhead that it, for us. And I said best, but it, there was nothing <laughs> like it at the time when that thing came out. Well, th- those were like revolutionary the king and, for like and, and they for were years. and they were urban myths. You couldn't get them. I mean, that was the other part. And and so we got the we were one of the two distributors in the U.S. And I think at the end we were selling like eighty percent of everything that he made. And so we knew what that marketplace was. And I'm like, he's already got the secret formula for Coke. I don't need to go out and reinvent it. And since then, the only change, the slight change we did is we went from, a, he, he built everything in a 440B stainless to a 440C. That may sound like a big upgrade or not big upgrade. It's a pretty big it's upgrade big, when it's, you actually it's, start looking it's at It's a steels, big upgrade. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's yeah. a much higher upgrade on the steel. Um, and what you're looking at is edge retention, carbon count, rockwell hardness, how hard that edge retention is. And, and then you're trying to get all those factors in and then you're trying to make it sh- sharp. And that was the thing that he had that I had never seen. And I don't think most people had ever seen in a broadhead before was how sharp that stuff was. So that became the standard for us when we started making our single bevel lines. That that's that that was that was the formulas that we started using on how he was manufacturing. But now we wanted to that that's a fairly expensive manufacturing process. One of the biggest drawbacks to shooting stainless and why you don't see a lot of guys do it and why you see a lot of tooling steels 
In stainless, in order to get the Rockwells, you have to do what's called a sub-zero quench on those. Um, and yep. that process is an expensive process and it's a timely process. Right. And that is as much for the steel side of what comes in as the process in order to get the steel to do what it is. Back to he's the chef. He takes the raw materials and he turns it into something. I can't make it. You can't make it. We start with the same stuff, but his tastes a lot better. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how he does that, but it, it's better. Um, and he came to us and he's like, Hey, I've been playing a lot with, uh, AUS four. Uh, and I, I, I think we can, we should make some heads out of this and we should try it. And, you know, I, was like, I did what I'm guilty of telling people try not to do. I went and looked at AUS four on a knife chart. I'm like, dude, this is like low grade junk, you know? And I'm like, no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly low grade stainless. But when you start looking at its characteristics, it's really hard. When you put an edge on it, it keeps the edge. Um, and, and I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, and I'm like, go ahead and go ahead and let's try this, you know? And we got them back and man, they were, you know, I like to tell people if we didn't make the other stuff, we would think we were making about the sharpest, strongest thing that's out there right now. Um, it's really good. And it, it, the price has come down significantly. The ferrules are the same. They're a different color. The screws are the same. The blades are stamped with the same stamps. The only thing different is the steel and the process we do to get it to a finished product. Um, and we're really happy with them. And that was one of our goals is we wanted to have a, you know, what we would call a premium broadhead under 50 bucks for guys so they could try. So guys, it would open up the market for more guys that are shooting whitetails and say, hey, I do want to upgrade. I want to shoot something a little bit better. And lucky for us now, what's been nice is we've been watching in the marketplace. I mean, 50 bucks for three broadheads is, that's not uncommon. Anymore. No. For hundred graders, you know, it's that's pretty I mean, par you know, for the course now. And I'm like, for what you're getting out of the package, um, that's pretty good stuff. We we try to, especially in social media, stay away from a lot of the broadhead testing stuff um, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, but um, this year for the request, I was like, send red lines for everything um, because that is. That's what I want. I, I'll, I'll hold that up against anybody at this point. For, and for the price, I'll really hold it up against anybody. Um, and what we've seen now and the feedback now that it's been out and it's gone through a, a little bit of a fall, a winter, and a spring, um, the, you know, basically guys are telling us, you know, it's, it's doing everything that the other ones do. Um, the, the new ones who will we'll eventually, we're slowly, as we go, rolling out the entire line in AUS4. So we'll match everything that we currently make in that new steel. Um, and for fall, the next one that's on the docket for us, which has been the mo the second most requested, is the 200 grain Maasai for us single bevel. We'll make it in that one. In a, in a so red one? We yeah. Well, yeah. Nice. And so yeah. we're going to we're gonna try to have that out uh, end of July, early August for guys. Um, it's on, it's, 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 awesome. it's in the production schedule and, 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 uh, as we're wrapping up some different, we're still wrapping up our final runs with, we introduced those new forged heads, the Alaskans, the 315 and the 200. Yeah. And so there's still, <laughs> those, that, those still, <laughs> they, it's, oh. it by far, we, so we're small. We have basically virtually zero marketing budget. Um, by far our most successful launch of a broadhead. That was, I think it was, a, there was a lot of pent up demand for, for that, uh, especially in the 200 and uh, in that design and that shape and everything. And, and so far the response has been pretty. Yeah. Talk about, talk about it for a minute if you want to, yeah. because when I look at that broadhead, I'm just like, 
shit. Like that's a, that's a lot of metal right there. Like, and it's from my perspective, it's that has been my like dream broadhead. I I've been stocked up on my size since I first was introduced to grizzly stick. And that's, I mean, I shoot, I have a long draw length. I shoot high poundage bows. I like the uh, durability aspect of that design as far as the tip reinforcement. And it's, it's a conversation that I've had with, uh, I think I've, I had briefly with you guys at the show and I, I've had with Jake before going, man, like it, the only way that we could make this better would be single piece and elongating that uh, feral portion to further reinforce. And when I saw the uh, the teasers, the the release photos, I like had to pick my jaw up off the floor because I'm like, oh, it's finally here. <laughs> But the the response that I've seen has been phenomenal because I had guys that, I mean, I already had to restock on them, and I was lucky enough that uh, that I was able to get some more. But I've had a bunch of conversations with guys going, "Yeah, I I tried getting them, you know, direct. Do you have any left? I've called you know like three people, <laughs> and everyone's loving them." Holy, I didn't know they were a 0.072 blade thickness, even on the 200 grain. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yeah. And it cleaned up a lot of the stuff we've been meaning to clean up for years um, that we didn't like. Todd's been a big, you get that feral out to the tip. You know, that, that's been a big mm-hmm. one. The issue's been for us is when we build those forge heads, they cost more than my wife and I's college education combined when a lot of times when we pop them. So we had one that hadn't worn out yet. So when you have one that has usually buy three at a time. So we had one that we had one that was still going and we hadn't burned it out. So we finally did, we got new forge heads and now we could change the design and we could extend that ferrule and do a lot of other things. Um, And there's been, Todd's really been pushing a lot of the technology on what we've been doing on the tips on these and the testing for, uh, especially in the forges and the one pieces. And uh, it's pretty (laughs) – definitely for us, we kind of hit another level of where we can get on the manufacturing side on how we're building those things. Yeah, I am – I'm I'm looking forward to getting some. I I know it's it's probably going to be a – a hot minute now because I know the was it was that the second batch or was that the first batch that just, just that was the second the second yeah, batch yeah gone. second batch just so down. the thir- but and the well, third thought, ones the third one I, should I, I hopefully told you, get I us still through. have some for you man <laughs> the third one should get us through the hopefully through the end of the year that's the big run so um and then we a lot of times that's pretty common for guys when we, when you start out we'll do a couple of small runs just to make sure we got everything dialed in before you make a bunch yeah. Of um, and then, then they're doing the big run. Usually we try to build everything for us when we do this stuff in these batches like this. We'll try to pe- project everything for at least nine to 10, 12 months for yeah. when we build all these things out. That's been one of the other problems for us. And guys have been like, hey, why don't you roll out some of this other stuff in the AUS4 faster? And it's been, hey, we're still plugging it in 
to our production schedules, we have X number of machines that can build this stuff for us. So we, we, you know, we have to, and we, we don't ever want to run out of standard 200 grain massages <laughs> ever. So that's, uh, so, you know, th- th- those, uh, some of the best sellers get a lot of pressure. Sure. Sure. Oh yeah. And that's just basic manufacturing. I mean, that's uh, my day job. I deal with manufacturing every day and it takes, it time. takes time. And if you, if you push one thing ahead of something else, well, now you just push everything else back. <laughs> yeah. And you know, <laughs> there's a lot that goes into uh, figuring out the schedules and aligning precedents. You know, it, it's, it's not as simple as just going, Oh yeah, we're just going to make some more of these. It's, I, 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 we like to joke internally why other companies don't make forged broadheads. Do you know why that is? <laughs> I, no I one, hope you, I hope no, you're going to tell us. <laughs> no, no one else is dumb enough to do it, but we are. <laughs> so that's, uh, <laughs> it's I, to get anybody to even look at that stuff to build it is, you know, I, that that's an interesting thing too. We talked about the the thing, same thing in the broadhead manufacturing for a lot of guys. It was it, it was hard for us at the beginning to even get anybody in the states to call us back in two thousand eight, two thousand seven. Um, we were going right, especially with the market crash and everything, and start moving offshore, yeah. and you couldn't get any, you couldn't get anybody to build you anything. I couldn't get them to call me back. So, um, and you know, that was, you know, that was always an interesting one for us was, Hey, can you make it in the States? And I'm like, man, if we could find it, we would love to. And that's not a, just a little thing price. Obviously we weren't as price sensitive as a lot of other companies were. So, and we were selling direct. So it was a, it was a legitimate option for us. We just couldn't find anybody to do it. Right. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a brutal market out there. Uh, I mean, but that is, I'm I'm glad that one piece broadheads are starting to become like a little like they're they're starting to like more people are making them. Granted, I don't think they're as high quality of steel as 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 440C, uh, but it, it is it is becoming a bit more prevalent, which I think is just good for the whole the whole movement uh, and and archery industry and uh, the hunting industry. Really, I mean, uh, you know, all the time we. We, we, we have so yeah, much yeah. infighting, but really like it's the, the, the antis that are, that'll, that'll really get after you for, you know, for wounding animals and stuff like that. And when you can move to like a really good solid one piece, or if you're going to use a two piece, like, you know, with, with a, with a separate feral, like use a good one, but you know, your recovery rates go up when you use better broadheads. It's a, it's kind of a wild notion. It's and you know we talk to guys a lot too about and you were talking about it in the seminars in the face to face a lot of times when you'll get a guy and you were talking about the shows and they walk in with the ph and somebody just booked a twenty two thousand dollar brown bear hunt or a thirty five thousand dollar leopard hunt or whatever all right you know pick take a pick and when you start talking to those guys they're obviously they're heavily invested mm-hmm. in this um, and, and especially when they get into the dangerous game they're they're heavily invested in it. If we could make them a hundred grain head that killed things, we would. I mean, that's not right. a, I mean, that's, it wasn't like we, I mean, as a matter of fact, it would have been so much easier if we could have done that. Who at the time would make a 315 grain broadhead? I mean, what is wrong with you people? Like, you know, and, <laughs> and, and at the time we were in trad, mind you. And when those came out, they were over a hundred bucks for three. And the venomous hate 
a lot that we would the feedback oh. of how dare you i've been killing them with zwickies i've been killing white tails with zwickies <laughs> since before you were born and you know i yeah. kind of had to stop and i'm like guys you know believe it or not there are other people in the world that hunt other animals besides white tails and you know there was no nobody else is making anything for them so that was kind of and that was a long road for us to to, to make that transition through and the transition for us to tr- turn over from a completely vertical trad company i mean as vertical of a trad company as you can right. be to to selling arrows and broadheads to compound guys yep. um and yep. and pull that off the triple lindy um <laughs> and <laughs> It was, uh, there, you know, it was interesting. And at the same time, we were talking about going through several manufacturers at the time. So for yeah. us, it's always been more talk about the theory, talk about Ashby, talk about heavy arrows and single bevels and structural integrity. We build that stuff. I've, I've talked to guys a lot of times or we'll get customers that are either be buying our arrows or broadheads and they'll be, you know, and I'll say, oh, what are you going to shoot these on? And they'll kind of be sheepish about it. And I'm like, man, I'm happy to be half of that equation. I'm not, it's, you don't, right. you know, it's great when you shoot them both, but I, yeah. you know, shoot, shoot better yep. stuff. And, and really, exactly. that, you know, that's been in whatever that is for you, that's what, you, but just keep kind of pushing that. And, and the status quo, and you had mentioned the wound loss ratios. I mean, that's the part that you start really looking at when you're in the business of doing this, Mm -hmm. the long-term effects of if we don't do something about this, if we don't police this ourselves or try to, somebody else is probably going to come in and do it for us. We're not going to like it. And so, you know, and we can police this. If you could, if everyone, you know, I don't think there would be any doubt that the wound loss ratios for the States that track this stuff, if everybody went to a 500 grain arrow, those numbers would we go guarantee down. It. If everybody went to a 500 grain arrow yeah. with a fixed two blade broadhead, those numbers would go yep. down. As you kept stacking in more of the Ashby stuff, you could watch those numbers go down. Um, so that's been part of us is not so much as hey, look at us, look at our look at our company and look at our product line. It's look at better ways to do this and better outcomes for you as a bow hunter. And and look for that. So stuff. I've got I've got two things. One is like another mini rant that I've been on before. Uh, uh, that, that I'm kind of I guess kind of in defense of you guys and ju- I mean just better uh, products as a whole. Todd, is, somebody defended us. What? For all the guys that, that say that uh, you know the, the, those broadheads are too expensive, those arrows are too expensive. Like, I would really encourage you once again to like sit down and write down how much all of your equipment costed you, and then just like really think if like another. 200 bucks total probably is is gonna like break you versus what you have already spent and i i would i would like to sit down and and find the person that says yeah i I, after everything i've spent on on hunting i just absolutely 100 could not afford to go with another 100 200 bucks to get something that was exponentially better and probably could have saved my ass in a in a poor situation. We've uh, never had a customer send us a picture and well, mention price ever once. Never once. Yeah. You know, when they, when they send in whatever yeah. it is that they got, I mean, that's yeah. all they know is they went and they did it and they're happy. And that's, yep. you know, that's it. And one thing that 
I've dealt with a lot being that I have a lot of white tail guys that I, I deal with. Uh, at least that's where I started. Um, is that I would see these guys year after year buying a 45 or a $50 pack of mechanicals or whatever industry standard broadhead. Um, and you know, they'd be buying typically one or two packs a year because they would use some to verify, you know, their flight and then those would be junk and then they would have a, you know, some to take yep. into the woods. And these guys would push back on me after recommending something like, uh, you know, one of the like 100 or 125 grain silver flames or, you know, something that's not going to make a drastic change to their setup, but just kind of get their feet wet and give them some advantages. And they're like, well, but those are so expensive. I'm like, okay, let's think about this. In the last three years, you've spent $90 a year on six broadheads. <laughs> I've had the same six 200 grain Maasai's for four years. Granted, I've lost two of them now in swamps from not being able to find my, my arrow. But so I have four left, but so I spent $180 in four years and I still have four broadheads left that are perfectly usable. I shoot them through something. I sharpen them up and I put it back in my quiver. So which one of us is spending more money? It's a good point. And for me, I, I I'm a long-term outlook kind of guy. Like, I would gladly spend a little bit more up front to know that I don't need to worry about it down the road. Because then it's paid for. It's done. Yep. And it's just one of those things that never clicked with me is, you know, some of these guys in three years are spending four or $500 on, on you know, well, this one didn't work. I'm going to buy this one. And then that one didn't work. I'm going to buy this one. And you're buying two packs at a time. And then they don't want to spend $90 on a pack of broadheads that would last them for quite some time. Yep. You and lose that was honestly, you're going to lose them before you probably, yeah, well, yeah. Before you, especially and, at whitetails with those, you're not going to beat those up on whitetails. Yeah. That's the most likely outcome is you're, you're not going to be able to find your arrow after it, you know, zipped through something. Yep. So my other my other question, because we've we've referenced him, is how how exactly did uh, Doctor Ashby and Grizzly Stick start getting together? I, I know you know there, there's there's no like uh, uh, there's the Ashby Broadhead, but uh, Ed said the only way he would do it is if uh, is if we made it perfectly clear that he is making no money off of it. Uh, um, it was, you know, just helped, uh, he helped design it and it was inspired by him. Uh, but you know, a lot of, uh, I mean, the majority of what you guys talk about revolves around, uh, Doc's teaching. So how did, how did that, uh, uh, how did you guys come together with him? The, uh, the connector for him was a gentleman in the, if, if the trad, if trad guys know he's a boyer, uh, and he holds a lot of distant shooting records. And that's kind of the other reason he's known. Uh, if you've heard of the Boyer, O.L. Adcock. Mm -hmm. so, um, and Name sounds o. familiar. 
oh well it was part of Todd McMahon it, it was part of A&H he was the patent holder for those limbs on, on those on those longbows hmm. um, so and oh well like to hunt in Alaska and so he would come up every fall to hunt moose and he would usually stay at our house coming and going through Anchorage and if he would get a moose huh. we had a we had a whole processing center in our garage and so we'd process it and get everything for him and do all that and as payment for us he would usually leave us a couple bows so um i have an interesting collection of old adcocks but hmm. the um what happened was is he knew he knew ashby and that's how the original that's how the original connection was made um at the time doc was still in australia and um I have I I I, I kind of knew who he was when I started talking to him. Not quite, obviously. Like I, I know I know him now, um, but I knew enough when I started talking to him to save all of my emails. So I've saved every email correspondence that I've ever had with him ever. And um, I think they start in two they start in two thousand seven. So um, you know we kind of gone through and we went through on the broadheads. And at the time. That was at the same time I had mentioned earlier that we were looking at, at or we were the distributor for Silver Flame. Right. And we wanted to get into single bevels because of his research. And at the time, we didn't make, all we were was a distributor. We weren't making anything. So um, at the time, he went through and with, with a couple guys, we, drew, we made some drawings and we went through some different things. And you made reference to the Alaskan or the Maasai. At the time, that was my idea. Um, everything was drawn with a straight edge on it because every, you know everything was Ashby three to one designs or built on that plane. As they get smaller, obviously you can't get those true three to ones in them. But right. Everything was built on that platform, and my thing was like I asked the guys, I'm like, draw everything in straight and draw everything in convex because I love the silver flames as much as I did. I'm like, I just I love that design. I didn't. There was no other thought in it. I just liked mm-hmm. it. You know, I just right. – and so that was how that 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 came in and, and both those sets came out and um, we started testing with him and then came out with the Forges. And that was the general entree for us into the marketplace was through meeting him, through that, and then talking more about – we had mentioned the, the 12 points and we started looking at our arrow. And we're like, wow, you know, he's got 12 points and we kind of have like five and a half in ours already, you know, just by default. We didn't mean to, but we, and so we're like, well, let's start refining more of our arrows to follow more of what he's doing. But now we need the broadheads to go onto the front. And that was the, really the first part when we started, when we started talking about it differently internally from talking about arrows and broadheads to start talking about systems. And I don't care. I don't look at them as separate components anymore. It's one giant component that I'm trying to shoot through an animal. Right. And that was, and, and for us, that was a big mindset shift on just how we looked and thought about things mm-hmm. um, as we're trying to design them and build them out. And and that was the, that, but that was originally how, how we came to be. And again, and you got that right. Um, when we talked to him about um, designing his head and building it for him, we were probably number five or six companies that he had talked to. And again, he's talking to a guy that's never built a broadhead. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I don't know. And I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm sure yeah, we can do that. You know, I, 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 I can go to Asia and, you know, I get that done. Yeah, it's easy. You know what? Well, sure. And, and so luckily I was really naive 
And there's, and it was, it's really, it it is a blessing. I swear. I probably wouldn't have done a lot of the things that I did if I would have known what I was doing. It helped at some, at some aspects of it helped that I didn't know what I was doing. So, um, you know, we started going through these processes and started building stuff and, I, you know, I, I said, Hey, can, you know, he said, Hey, can you build the forge? And, you know, sure. We'll try this. Uh, so we drew, we drew it up and that was the time. And that was the big ask for me was, and I was nervous. It was like asking a girl to prom, you know, and I'm talking <laughs> to him on the phone and I'm like, Hey doc, you know, can, w- what do you think, you know, would it be okay if we put your name on this thing? And he thought about it and he's like, you know, Absolutely, with one big stipulation that you put a disclaimer on the packaging and everywhere that you market it that I get no money to do this. And if it doesn't do what it's supposed to, I'm going to write about it just like I did everything else. And so it was, you know, it, it, it was kind of that blind faith, like, oh, well, this better work. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. and luckily it did. Um, but, you know, we, we, at the time when we were going through that, there was a lot of just stumbling. Through, I would tell people there was a lot of you'd be going down a process and it was a dead end cul de sac, but you wouldn't know until you were there. Right. So then you'd, you'd hit it and then you're like, okay, now what, well, now what the hell are we going to do? And try to figure out and trying to figure out how to get somebody to build that stuff the way we want it built and to get it to do all the characteristics and to build more than one of them. And <laughs> this is the funny thing we talked about it the and to find anybody that actually wanted to build any of that stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's small boutique, small run, high tolerance stuff. Not a lot of fun to make. Right. Um, so that's you know, it's it's a lot easier to stamp out aluminum ferrules and razor blades at a hundred grains and put a pin in them and throw them out there as fast as you can. You spend more time putting the rubber band on them, right? So, you know, <laughs> you know, so it's you know, and there's a reason they can you know the pricing is different on that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot less. There's a lot less expensive metal in it, and a lot less inexpensive, and a lot more inexpensive metals in it. But that's how it all came to be with us and Doc. Yeah. That's how it started. Well, I know I am uh, uh, with Rob being a, a fan of the uh, convex style blades. I am, uh, especially since switching to trad, I am a a big fan of three to one style uh, uh, high mechanical advantage broadheads because every time I pull a recurve back i'm like this isn't enough this isn't enough but we we know through uh through testing and uh a lot of results from uh from people shooting uh that that style of broadhead that it works and uh as, as long as it's made out of good material and it doesn't break then probably probably going to be in a good spot um i don't uh, i i i don't want to i, I want to have you guys on again so i don't want to make you guys like just keep talking about everything uh rob do you have any other uh questions or topics uh for garrett and todd no um that's i was gonna initially ask if there is anything uh new and exciting that we might be looking forward to and you guys uh already touched on some of the expansion with the uh red line series which is awesome um yeah but i guess anything else that uh might be in the works that you want to tell uh, us yeah, about. Yeah, that, that's actually available to, <laughs> to mention. We're, you know, we're, we're always, I, we have to be somewhat tiresome partners at Victory sometimes because we're always asking, you know, for, for new toys. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and so we're, we're careful with what we ask for. We have been looking at some new things. Again, for us, take the same technologies now and try to get them in a more attract, open up the market to more people with the products. Um, so it's not only does it perform, but we're going to try to get you know, price points into a mm-hmm. place where it'd be more competitive and more in line with where everybody else is at. Um, so that would be the first one. And then we're, we pretty much, we have a problem with playing with steels, stainless steels in particular and testing them and, um, trying to figure out another mouse trap. And now for us, because of the AUS four, it's really expanded how we think about different steels and what we're looking for. And we're testing things that don't, now it's great. We're, we're starting to test stuff that doesn't even show up on, on you're not even going to find it on blade on, a, on, you know, any kind of blade charts. Um, and the verdicts we're, we're testing, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, if, if it's any better mm-hmm. um, and, and if it's any better at what price, that's the other part for us. So um, I think that was a neat one for us just in closing on the, on the, on the, on, on coming out with that new line with the AUS four, you know, a lot of people, I, I felt that we, you know, the feedback and I try not to look at too much because if we read feedback, we wouldn't do a lot of the things that we do. So not that not that I don't look at any of it and not that I'm immune to it, but we try not to read too much into it. But there was some initial when we initially launched that there was a lot of guys, you know, I expected more out of Grizzlies to come out with this junk steel. And I'm like, does anybody think we would actually come out with something junky? Well, exactly. Like, right. Like, that's like like we kinda you know, if anything, you know, we're always getting knocked on how expensive it all is. So um uh, and we were really happy with how those turned yeah, out. Yeah, it's I know that I've been uh it's, I haven't had a chance to kill anything with a red line yet. I tried uh, using a 125XL for a turkey and just never had an opportunity this season. Um, but uh, it's, I know just off the top of my head, I've got probably close to a dozen guys that have already killed stuff with the red lines and have been very happy. Um, it, I think that it's really expanded that market and that uh it, it's been doing very well that's lots of good it, it, we're lucky we're, we're lucky in total laugh we're lucky we have a strang middleton and if anybody wants to just look him up on he's Facebook. a bad dude and bad so dude. so if you have a strang you don't you know that that and that is his those silver flame 125 xls that is his big yeah and so we we loaded him yeah. up on those red lines, and I you know I already have more pictures than I can post in a lifetime without it. I mean, he just that's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. It helps when you live where you oh, live yeah. and do those things. And uh, but uh, yeah, he's he's got a he's got a pretty impressive resume. Not not only as a as a PH as a guide, but you know there's not a lot of those guys that have done a lot of that stuff themselves, especially the big five stuff that yeah. he's done. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty impressive. I, he, he posted a picture of a hippo and I, uh, jokingly, uh, said, Oh, like you're ready to take me over there and, and, uh, ready to, uh, have me over there and I'll try and get one with a recurve. He was like, yeah, I'll get you close enough. It's up to you to get it done. He was, <laughs> I was like, Oh, he okay. didn't even balk. <laughs> did he? No, 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 he doesn't, uh, no, he doesn't uh, do any of that stuff. And, and, he's he's we were talking earlier there's like four or five guys that do it and he's one of those guys and and there's rifle guys and 
and they're awesome and I'm not right. but it's a there's very few of the bow guys that are willing yep. to especially on the big stuff that are a little stand in there with you on that stuff. I oh mean, right. It's, yeah. It's a different kind of guy for sure. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. uh yeah, he, you wouldn't want you don't ever want Strang to bear hug you. Um, <laughs> he looks like a big no. guy. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm sure he's one of those guys that could pick up a bale of hay under each arm and walk for a country mile, and you know you couldn't keep up with him. Yeah. He's just. He's just. He's. He's. He's farm boy strong. Yeah. Uh, he's. 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 He's just a great guy. Just a is great he, guy. Is is Strang, Strang normally he's comes to? Uh, uh, he's a DSC and SCI, right? He norm. He's always at SCI. Okay. Uh, no, I'm sorry. He's always at DSC. Okay. Um, and sometimes he does SCI on, on that, and, and depending on who he goes through. But um, yeah, he's always down. he's always in Dallas. I need to I need to get down there and and try and meet him next year. And I've, well, I've been, he, we've been chatting a little bit about about getting down to one of the shows again. Oh, nice. And I definitely. But last time, I mean. I didn't even see the show because I just hung out with you guys and talked with customers. <laughs> yeah. I, I just got sucked in and I was just sitting there talking talk well, to guys about you, arrows. You, you got you guys got to see what it's like too. And, and Dallas now has even gotten crazier for a couple of reasons. The oil is back up again in Texas. Yep. So that, that place, you can't even walk inside of it now. And we're, we've, earn enough points we've moved up into the middle now so we're in a instead of being out Mm -hmm. on one of the wings so we Mm -hmm. just get a lot more foot traffic and you know it we're the only archery company at both yeah yep and we you know when we joke about it it's it's not being the only pretty girl at the dance you're the only girl at the (laughs) dance and when you have that much traffic that goes through that place you know and i'd say most of those is still only maybe five to ten percent of those guys are bow hunters but and you were there. I mean, they're all in your booth oh, yeah. all at once. Like, yep. holy, you know, and you're trying to, you know, and, and it's just, you know, oh, yeah, another Cape Buffalo. Great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and again and again and again. I mean, that's, that's you know, and that's what they're there. They're, that's what they were at that show. Yep. They're booking those big hunts. Yep. And, uh, yeah, if you guys can make it down there, we love them. And you were just talking to you before about the anxiety that I used to have going to ATA. It's the exact opposite oh, yeah. going into those It's shows. a completely you different know, yeah. feel. Yeah, especially with our mindset. That's I did ATA for a couple of years, and that's from a dealer's perspective. And I I haven't went back in two or three years because it was like there was nothing that even interested me. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just like okay, like I was really hoping to to see you know, some of the smaller companies that are trying to break in and it's just dominated by the big dogs. And I mean, like you said, any, like the couple of smaller companies that had some, some, you know, stuff that was going in the right direction, you could just tell as soon as you talk to them. And as soon as you, you know, hit a couple of key words with, you know, some of your mindset and what you were kind of looking at, they just lit up like, Oh my God, finally someone that like yeah. will actually <laughs> talk to us. <laughs> and yeah. it's sad. Oh, yeah. It's uh it, it's a sad part of the industry right now. 
we one of the stories I like to tell the guys is I know we're getting closer to wrapping this up, but it, it'll tell you just kind of the a general idea of the industry and how how we saw it and how we've built the things that we do and why we try to not insulate ourselves from things is we just ignore it because we have to to keep doing what we yeah. do. But that was the last year we did attend ATA. Um, there was a big bunch of hoops that I had to jump through. But I, I won't get into all the details, but I had Ashby speak at the ATA. And he had never – Shut up. Did you really? Yeah, that was 10 years ago. (laughs) Oh, okay. Gotcha. And No, 10 years ago. Right. So this was 10 years ago. And uh, where were we, Todd? It doesn't matter. I think we were in Louisville at the time. I think so. And and at the time, uh, the lady at a – I won't say her name, but it doesn't matter. She told me at the time that that was the the highest attended seminar that they'd ever seen. It was standing room only to watch him talk. And he was getting challenged a lot by the industry. And what she should be. And it was really interesting. But after that, we were at the time when we talked about it, we were we were in a giant booth with Win and Win. We we combined all of our booths with Win and Win, uh, Carbon Tech and ourselves. So we had a bigger footprint to try to stand out yep. a little bit. And you know, Win and Win is a small company yeah. there. Yeah. And and so uh, we had that. And we had at one point I had left the booth and I was walking back down our hallway and there's a line of grown men lined up in a line and I walk past all of them and sitting and they're on one side of the aisle and on the other side of the aisle in the corner of our booth is a a pub table and sitting at the pub table is Dr. Ed Ashby and everybody, and it doesn't matter who they were, everybody was lined up to get a husband and wife's autograph. (laughs) And I just looked at that and I look at him and I looked at that and I go, I'm not going to ever be able to compete on that. You know, that's not going to, that's not us. You know, we're not going to be able to do that. Right. And right now that's where the market is. And I'm like, you know, this is the guy that got <laughs> bow hunting legalized in Africa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nobody like get his autograph. Like right. that's a, like, holy crap. That's amazing. Right. You know, and you know, nothing. So, you know, I, I just think that's kind of a commentary on where it is uh, and where the, where the products have been. But I, it is good, and that's why I try to help out or push as much as I can, even though they would be competitors, is to get guys to be able to start pushing the envelope for everybody. And it helps me. We were kind of doing this freelance for a long time, and it helps to have somebody to look at and go, okay, well, now we can do this and this and this because mm-hmm. of different reasons to have a competitor. Competition is good. Yes, and So is. Um, we're, we're definitely we, – we want more guys coming in uh, and saying that, you know, if you really love archery – don't do this. You know, after a couple of years, it, it can change a lot of people's outlook of being in this industry for sure. Yeah. You got, you got to want to, you got to want to do this. You got to, you got to, you got to want to do it for you, not because you think it's kind of, yeah. a you got to have a passion, something driving you to do it. And that's, you know, from, from the guys on the higher quality side of the industry that I, that I've talked with, um, that I'm friendly with. It's across the board guys that are truly just wanting to one share knowledge and two just improve bow hunting. It's you, you don't see the same uh, like 
individual product pushing and like just pure marketing from these kind of companies you you yeah. see we can't well yeah all of our money's in our all of our money's in our product well we, we're yeah. Not, it's, yeah. all of our money's in our product i mean that's exactly it's, but it's it's, it's yeah. the the mentality i guess is what i was getting at of even if the even the if cooperation you know things were different Support. it's it's a different mindset you know you guys aren't here you know trying to just toot your own horn you're you're talking about how to improve the industry right and that's you know just a common theme that i've seen with others other companies like you guys that i love it it's phenomenal to see that you know you're trying to you 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 gotta care to stick it out in this thing you do. It's not, it's, it's not, and I'm not trying to, blow, I'd say support any of the little guys that you can, the, the guys, especially the guys that are pushing it, you know, and maybe they make good products, maybe some make better or this, and you'll find those products for you, but look for those guys that are trying to push it instead of, you know, back to, you were talking about guys buying the same pack of broadheads over and over again and trying to expect something, you know, I don't know why it doesn't kill deer. You know, I saw it on the <laughs> video or whatever, you know, and, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, it's just not working for you. So find something that works for you. Um, and, and if you can support those guys, I think, like you said, it, it, it breeds more innovation into the industry. And I think, you know, it'll start feeding and hopefully it, whether it's all the way into this, this heavier stuff or not, just, we need another, almost like an, we, since carbon arrows, we really haven't had any big breakthroughs. The bows have, Mm -hmm. um, arrows and broadheads. I mean, we're. You know, there's there's not a lot of new stuff, um, and and so to to have guys out there pushing, and that's what's been really neat tying it all back into victory is them pushing it as much as they have on oh, yeah. just hey, we want to try these things and we want to make them better, lighter, faster, stronger, um, you know, and 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 to keep doing that. Exactly, and that's kind of tying into what you said uh, earlier. You know, if as an industry, if we can get closer to that, like 500 grain mark for more than norm. Yep. If, I mean, it's not all that difficult with the components that are out there today. Nope. To stay in like a hundred or 125 grain broadhead, have a solid component system in place and have, you know, around that 500 grain total weight and be north of like 18 19 percent and if you can do that for for the majority of of what the hunting industry is chasing you're going to see improvement you're going to see better success rates and the you know the more that this moves forward i i just i think that there's you know that once it starts kind of cascading it's it's going to be a roller coaster it's picking up momentum yeah it is um pun intended tiff ironic ironically <laughs> and, and 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 todd used to tell me all the time they're watching you know even a couple of years ago the industry's watching i'm like dude we're so small 
nobody's watching us. Trust me. And he's like, they're watching. You know, and I'm like, I don't know. You know, a couple years ago, I'm like, yeah, they're kind of, you know. First time I saw it, like mainstream big, the big three arrow guys put put FOC in their print ad, I about right? fell out of my chair. <laughs> I was like, holy cow. I'm like, Todd, you did that. I'm like, you know, I he's he writes all of our stuff. I'm like, Todd did that. I'm like, that that was not in the common vocabulary just even five years ago. Oh, exactly. And what guys were talking about. And, yep. you know, and, and, and I, there's no, the cat's out of the bag. You're not putting that one back in. And the reason you're not going to put it is because it works better. And again, it doesn't matter who makes it. You put more weight in the front of an arrow, it penetrates better, period. Yep. So um, you're going to see, I think, in like you said, I think it'll start feeding itself. Hopefully it will. And then yeah. it'll grow and then the, we'll push it more. And then, you know, it'll we'll, we can keep pushing this stuff. Um, and I, I'd like to see the day where, you know, it's expected no matter who's making the equipment and, and who, no matter the poundage of bow and no matter the size of the animal, at a minimum, let's get that broadhead to at least poke out the other side, huh? You know, oh, exactly. Let's, you know, and if not, let's well, it should shoot be expected. Your that that should, should be you know, the that expectation, be the, and, not the surprise. And just like the rifles match that you're going to start matching that load with, with the size of the animal. There's not this one size fits all yep. um, The I can fit my 20, 30 and 40 in, into the same, you know, on the same pin. I'm like, yeah, but can you kill anything with it? And can you kill anything? Not, and you can, you can, can you kill things with it when it goes wrong? Yeah. Yep. And can you kill things with it when it's not perfectly broadside and you're stand and you're waiting and that opportunity lost when you're able enough as a bow hunter to get something in the bow range and not being able to shoot at it. Yeah. And I, as a trad guy, got really tired of that. It's hard to get close. So when I get close, I want to, I want to shoot at them. Exactly. That's, you know, so that's, and, and, but now I got to have something that will work depending on body position and the size of the animal I'm going after. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, that would that that would be. I think you're going to start seeing that shift. Hopefully, and I I, I do think it's going to start picking up steam. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's why that's why we're here. We're we're just trying to get the good word out. Uh, and you know, I, I to echo what Rob said a while back. I I definitely think that you guys have been uh, a big a big reason that this movement has uh, has been successful. And and it's continuing to to uh, uh, pun included gain momentum. Uh, um, so yeah, I'm 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 very happy that you guys are here, and uh, uh, I I don't think uh, I think you're going to be okay because I think as we have seen from the last couple of years, uh, if if taper tells us anything, uh, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it, everyone's starting to do it now. And uh, I, I think it's going to be the new norm uh, sooner than later. We hope so. We hope so. <laughs> so <laughs> um, any, anything else, uh, Rob? No, and Garrett uh, Todd. Any of you? you? No, I think I think we. I mean, that was we we covered we covered a lot of ground. We did. Yeah, we, we did. did. Well, I definitely want uh, uh, want both of you guys to come back on and talk more about tapered arrows. Uh, um, so we don't have to make this particular episode three and a half, four hours long. Sure. Uh, so, um, cause you are, uh, well, you're paired with the carbon arrow experts and, uh, I don't, uh, I don't know anyone who makes a better tapered shaft than, than you guys. So I, I definitely want to hear it from the horse's mouth. So if you guys will come back, we would, uh, love to have you. I can say absolutely. Well, uh, cool. Absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> 
Cool. All right. Well, thanks everyone for uh, tuning in. Uh, another great discussion with some uh, some good dudes and, uh, and a great company. I would encourage you to uh, go check them out. Where uh, uh, where all can people find you guys? I know it's Grizzly Stick S T I K. Uh, you dot, can misspell it. Com. You, can, you can misspell it anyway. You're gonna get there. It'll, it'll you, 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 it. anywhere you, close. Bought, you bought you bought the CK URL. I bought I bought I bought them all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, you'll get there. Um, but it's it, it is S T I K. But uh, on that side of it. But yeah, grizzlystick.com. Um, we do catalogs still. We're still old fashioned that way. Dude, I freaking and, love getting catalogs. I got your catalog like two three weeks ago, I think, and yeah. I flipped through it for uh, probably a good hour, and I already knew it was in there. <laughs> and that, that's Todd. That thing is, you know, yeah. we're pretty proud of that. For, for the size of our company to put out something like that, it's pretty nice catalog. So yeah, we're, yeah. We're proud of it. I'm into it. Um, but yes, we would definitely be interested in coming back and talking more on that stuff. Cool. And so you guys have Facebook and Instagram, right? Face, Facebook, Instagram, uh, web presence. Again, it's consumer, consumer Direct. We always recommend for guys, if you're interested, and we're obviously – pretty big on pushing testing for our products mm -hmm. uh, and we have these two arrow test kits do the test kit um, do the test kit <laughs> do the test kit i mean that's learn and we like it for guys for the price to make sure we get everything right and that you like it as a consumer before you buy a dozen of these things they're yep. not inexpensive we want to make sure by the time you get them that you love them i yep. want you i want you to want to shoot these exactly. so um and it's a way for 50 bucks that you can try them um, so we do a lot of time right now, especially this time of year, is a lot of the testing side of it. So uh, most of that, though, we encourage guys to call in. Um, we are small, so we can get backed up. So we always tell guys, leave us a message, and we get, we try to get back to everybody that day. But um, that way we can talk to you. The biggest thing for us, especially when we start out with any of this, is just the nuances of shooting a bow and the nuances of bow hunting and what you're trying to do. And we really like to get that one-on-one -on -one where we can't get that if you place the orders online at the beginning. Right. So, and we like to kind of walk guys through and answer their questions to make sure. And also if they are testing, I think it's really important for us to make sure that we're giving them what they think they're getting in testing. Yeah. We don't want the, you know, we want, you know, so we want to walk through and make sure that everybody understands what's going on uh, on that and, and different nuances are going on. So that would be the only other one is to call us. That's there's an 800 number. It's on the webpage. Uh, especially when you start out and, and so you can get a, a tech and it's usually Todd or myself that you're going to get on the phone and we can walk, you know, we're going to start out with how, how long is your draw and what poundage and what are we going to go hunt? Yep. And, and then we kind of go from there. Yep. yep. And it's, if, if you just can't get through to them, you can always call me. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I'm like, get them, get those arrows. That's, I don't, get those arrows. <laughs> that, that's all that I do is uh, is work with guys on exactly that, figuring out what they need, getting some test arrows in their hands, and you know, getting them prepared for success. So, yep. and it's, it's awesome it's, that it's, I can work. It's awesome. With it you is. Guys uh, it's and, it's an, uh, it's an awesome job. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, thanks again, guys, for for joining us and 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 hanging out. Really appreciate uh, both you guys coming on, spending your evening, um, even here talking, chit chatting with us yeah, about uh, about some arrows and broadheads. That's just it's kind of our kind of our thing. So, uh, once again, thank you everyone for listening and stay lethal. Don't forget the olive oil. <laughs>